Hello, and uh, welcome to another episode of the Crane Kick Commentaries podcast. Spooky. Yes, it's a spooky movie today. Today we are talking about the classic John Carpenter movie, The Fog. Uh, today I am joined, as always, by my friend Keaton. Hello. And today we are joined by our special guest, horror enthusiast, Mimi Byer. Thanks for having me, guys. Welcome, Mimi. So, uh, Mimi, how would you how would you summarize this movie? I would say it's very much a classic ghost story. It opens with some grizzled sea captain giving a group of kids like a scary campfire story, like at midnight. And the whole premise is that it's the 100th year anniversary of this town being founded. And there is a story that a hundred years ago, like a ship crashed into the rocks after being lured in by a campfire. And now the sailors are coming back to seek their vengeance. And the movie just kind of follows how that plays out. What What do you think? Okay. What do you think of that narrative? Do you think that's a Do you think that's a good narrative just off the bat? Just on paper, absolutely. It's really, really classic. It's like it's very much like the like hook-handed man kind of like classic ghost story. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, it is, it is. And I've actually, that's funny that you should mention the hook-handed man. I was watching an interview with, um, with John Carpenter, where he was saying that early on he did want to 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 kind of recreate that that quality. Oh. That's what he was drawing yeah. from, and he did mention the like the hook-handed uh, <laughs> uh, murderer. So I think yeah, that was very successful, yeah. then, at least in just the the ambiance of it. I, I think they they definitely captured that properly. That was immediately where my mind went when with the first opening scene was this sounds like he's about to tell that story. Well, because he opens well, yeah, exactly. Campfire story. They yeah, set yeah. the stage pretty pretty uh, on mm-hmm. the nose with that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was very envious of those kids. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it we'll seems get... like a pretty pretty great camp out. Yeah, yeah, very very creepy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty good premise. Like, uh, it's a very, very tried and true uh, kind of uh, idea f- to make a horror movie, especially for that era. Yeah, definitely. I mean, how do you figure? Uh, just because, like, I feel like that there was a lot of kind of, I don't know, classic resurgence at that at that point. A lot of the Stephen King stuff too. What right around uh, early eighties. There's kind of well, it was like when all the uh, uh, the kids who had been watching like the original The Thing, and, yeah, like uh, yeah. all those like fifties horror films, like B flicks that made it onto yeah. TV. Yeah, very much so. Um, they grew up and had like a nostalgia for that feel, and I feel like yeah, yeah John exactly, Carpenter's yeah. kind of the purest form of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Would you like to uh, to talk about what we're getting into next here? Yeah, well, um, I thought today, instead of focusing too, too much on John Carpenter, we'll still talk about him for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I figured we might talk a bit about Deborah Hill. Okay, um, yeah. In a, in a little bit more depth than we talk about John Carpenter. Um, are either of you guys familiar with Deborah Hill? Yeah, at all? so she was definitely part of the whole, like... Uh, I guess I would call it like a horror clique kind of thing that um, that she worked on a whole bunch of movies with John Carpenter and with a bunch of other people who were in this movie, um, including Halloween. Yeah, ha- Halloween's kind of like the uh, the uh, apex of of that. I think. Yeah, well, it's ha- it's how this whole kind of thing starts, and you get a, a lot yeah. of the same people crossing over into this movie as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and we will talk about some of those people. Yes. Um. 
Mimi, do you know anything about about Deborah Hill? Not very much. Just that like they were dating at the time that like they kind of started yeah, coming up with the yeah. concept for this movie. Yeah. Well, we'll yeah we'll talk about that. Yeah, and, their, and their again that she's really involved in a lot of other stuff. Uh, well, well, I'll get I'll get to her in more detail in in, in a moment. First, I'm just essentially I'm going to talk about uh, John Carpenter um, and his career a bit leading up to Deborah Hill, and then I'll kind of talk mm. about her a bit, and then we'll talk about how they them together the whole era of when the fog uh, when they wrote it and when they started making it. Mm. Um, and then after that, uh, I believe Jake will, will take us, uh, on another journey. We'll start talking about the cinematographer, Dean Cundy, who's a very fascinating figure. Yeah, definitely. Um, am I pronouncing his last name correctly? Do you know? Is it Cundy? I think it's Cundy. I mean, maybe it's Cundy. I don't know. But as far as I know, it's Dean Cundy. (laughs) Dean Cundy. Yeah. Um, Um, yeah. And I think with talking about him, we'll kind of, uh, lead us naturally talking about some of uh uh the the carpenter filming techniques yeah definitely kind of commonplace um and we'll talk about why the fact that dean cundy is around a lot has a lot to do with that i imagine but yeah and then jake's gonna talk a bit about the music uh, as i understand it um so that'll be fun because the music uh if you've seen the film you know is a major part of this film um, a thing we should maybe mention uh, is that there's going to be some major spoilers. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah, y- if you haven't seen uh, The Fog, uh, I don't know. We're going to ruin it for you. So uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, can, you, you don't have, have to watch ruined. it if you don't want to, but uh, if, if you don't want it spoiled, uh, watch it first. All right. So uh, with that, shall we uh, get right into it then? Yeah, we shall. So John Carpenter is um, he's a very interesting director. He's made uh, many films across various genres, and although you know he focuses on a wide range of subject matter, um, he, most notably horror is probably what he's known for, I think. Well, I, I would um, say horror and science fiction, but definitely towards the more horror end of the science fiction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like horror, science fiction, action thriller, adventure, comedy. He's kind of he's done a lot. He's mm. done a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, but in, in in my opinion, throughout them all, he's kind of a master of one particular element of filmmaking, and um and that element is atmosphere. Yeah, very much so. Well, I mean, he's he's the the horror master, self described. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> self described. That that's his Twitter handle, actually. I think is is uh, <laughs> is uh, John Carpenter at horror master. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, his ability to like. Uh, create a unique atmosphere is is pretty much like as you were saying it's it's what leads films like halloween and the fog to become the the cult classics Mm. that they have yeah yeah Yeah, in order to do this he uses like a lot of different facets of filmmaking the way the camera's directed the practical effects and the scores uh which as you know he often composes himself yeah, he's not solely responsible for these details, but we're going to talk about all that. Um, first, we'll talk about a little bit of his career. Right. He ber- he began his career um, at the University of Southern California. He majored in English at first, I believe, and then he 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 started studying film. Mm-hmm. I think what's really interesting about his his university career is that um, in nineteen 19- 
70, he, he co-wrote, um, edited, and scored a short film called The Resurrection of Bronco Billy. Okay. Have you, have you ever heard no, of that? No, I've not film? heard of that. No. No. Maybe you never heard it. I assume you never heard no, that. I don't no, know why you would have. <laughs> I like the sound of it, though. Yeah, it's a fun movie. I, I watched it. It's not very long. It's a, it's a good little short film, um, but it actually it won the Oscar in 1970. Oh, really? For, yeah, best short film. Right. But uh, he didn't... I assume Carpenter didn't get that. Uh, well, I don't know. He... he he, I, he might have. He, I'm sure he got credit. He worked on it. I don't know who gets the Oscar for that when, particular. Like, probably the director, though, right? It was probably like the production, right? Yeah, I, I really don't know. I don't yeah. know. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. The, the the score is a lot more like kind of cowboyish music. There's like whistling and a jaunty cowboy tune. Right. He hadn't he hadn't uh, discovered synthesizers yet. Yeah, it wasn't quite a synthy <laughs> vibe. Yeah. 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 Another thing that's interesting about that film is that one of the other co-writers was a guy named Nick Castle. That name oh, rings a bell. Oh, there he is. Yeah. Maybe do you know who Nick Castle is? Yes. Enlighten us. Oh, I only know I only know about him in the context of the fog, really. Right. Enlighten the, me. The character is named after him. Yeah, the, the main main character, Nick, is named after this Nick Castle. It's true. Yeah, and he worked on a few things with him, didn't he? Yeah, well, he 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 co-wrote this short film, The Resurrection of Bronco Billy. He played Michael Myers in Halloween. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was one of the people who played Michael Myers. Yeah, there were several. Yeah, there were several people, but he was the main guy, and he paid. He got paid twenty-five bucks a day. Yeah, he's named a few other characters or elements of his other films after him, I believe. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think he's kind of a recurring thing. He seems to used to like, like using people's names, kind of. Uh, I mean, stuff. yeah, like uh, he uses the name Loomis a lot. Yeah, he even kind of has it as like a screen name for one of the actresses. Yeah. yeah. Even though that's not really like her actual name, but throughout all of the work she's done for him, she's referred to as Loomis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I believe Loomis was actually the name of a what was it a character in the movie Psycho. Oh, that's probably what it's a reference to. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I believe we have some crossover with that film in this film. Yeah. There is a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he John Carpenter really liked his uh, his uh, little references like that. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. he, uh, when he, well, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but when he uh, made Assault on Precinct 13, he also edited that film. I forget exactly. It was like... John T. Chance, I believe, was the name he edited. Edited. Right. Edited. Oh my God, I'm stumbling around that word. Um, uh, and that's that's a John Wayne reference. Oh, okay. Um, oh. I, I know he really liked westerns. Yeah, that and that story is loosely based on like a John Wayne story, I think. Okay. But anyway, back to uh, Nick Castle. Just a few more interesting little tidbits about him. Is he also? Uh, co-wrote Escape from New York oh. um, with with Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Okay, cool. Yeah. And um, under- the, the same movie. actor who played Nick in The Fog as well, I believe, was also in that movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like multiple layers of crossover. So, but but just just to be clear, Nick Castle's not in this movie, right? No. No. He's just no. Okay, that... He's just referred to by name because a character has his name. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And uh, not related to John Carpenter, but just fun little fun little fact about Nick Castles. He he also wrote a screenplay for Hook. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> there's there's some more crossover with this movie and that movie as well. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's I mean, we'll, I we'll get to that later uh, when I do my section. Fun. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So he made this Oscar-winning short film while he was still in in uh, university. Cool. So that's, you know, that's pretty pretty nice f- notch on your belt. That, that's pr- pretty, pretty cool, yeah. It's a very auspicious start for a career. Yeah. So then he worked on his... his his first feature film I, and i use that that kind of term what feature sparingly. are we talking about dark star yeah, yeah to okay. describe dark star right it um, is technically a feature film yeah it's feature length film yeah yeah he worked on that film for like four years from like 1970 to 1974 and it was kind of an on again off again project that right. was like i think towards the end of it he said he kind of viewed it almost as like as like a resume like he'd put that out there, and he'd have this feature-length film, and yeah. maybe he could start start making other films. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think like uh, a lot of the people he like went to school with wouldn't have had like a full-on feature-length film like that that they yeah, could just show, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, the, one of the guys he he co-wrote the film Dark Star with Dan O'Bannon, a guy named Dan O'Bannon. Dan o- Danny boy, here we go. Yeah. Um. Well, what do you know about Dan O'Bannon? I know that he wrote the movie Alien, I believe. He did write the movie Alien. Yes. And he's another character in the film. <laughs> yeah. I believe that, he, that, that John Carver does that in a couple of different films. He uses the name Dan yeah. O'Bannon. Um, but yeah, so I believe that there's actually, there's a section, well, I mean, the, 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 um, there's sort of a story that the that Alien is based on, like, I mean, it's not really a story. I mean, I think Dan O'Bannon actually said this. Alien is basically based on this one segment in Dark Star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember reading him saying that. Yeah, so uh, like, there's this there's this section where there's this uh, sort of like alien alien, which the prop is like really stupid looking. It's made out of a beach ball, and he's just chasing this alien all around the ship, and it, it's actually kind of played for comedy in in, in Dark Star. But um, Dan O'Bannon got the idea from doing this that he, he'd write an entire movie sort of uh, about like chasing an alien through a ship that's bizarre yeah uh-huh. and so dan o'bannon I, I believe he's actually in darkster yeah he, he's he, one of the actors he, yeah he's one of the actors he also was like had a small special effects role on star wars oh yeah hmm. yeah so um after after darkstar he he because um he met deborah hill on the on the set of assault on precinct precinct 13 um she was uh she was a script supervisor and ended up like assistant editing a little bit on the film but she was like a script supervisor at first and like as they like uh as they talked and whatnot she got uh, uh, adopted more roles and kind of adopted the role of a producer a little bit right a little bit more towards the end yeah i mean i I can see that john carpenter would need some some help with that (laughs) go on no no just because i don't know he seems like he uh the idea of being on a movie set always stressed him out, it seems like. He definitely is, like, more of a creative type, I think, yeah. than a... Yeah, a, that's for sure. A managerial kind of... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, so now now that brings us to, to Deborah Hill. So just before we continue, um, we'll talk about Deborah Hill a little bit. 
Okay. Um, she was a she was a producer and a writer um, by title, but she mostly would have considered herself, based on everything I've looked at, she would have just considered herself just a filmmaker in general. And um, she, I mean, she wore a lot of hats when it comes to the, she this did. Movie, yeah. She wore a, a lot of hats in 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 every movie she seems to have worked on. Yeah. Um, she sadly passed away. Um, in 2005 of cancer before oh, she was able yeah. to make her directorial debut. But I think she, she always kind of considers herself a director and she would have, she was slotted to even direct a film the year before she, uh, she passed on, unfortunately. Was she involved in the remake in any way or did she pass away before that? Yes, the remake that was... of this. I, I didn't actually watch the remake. I don't know about you. I've never that. seen the remake. No, I watched the remake when it first came out. Oh, so what did you think? Maybe. Oh, I, I, it was a very long time ago. I remember being petrified of it. Right. When it first came out, like I was legitimately terrified of it. It came out in 2005. So you saw it when it, in theaters. Yeah, Yeah, I was, I was 11. So (laughs) I was pretty easily scared. I was scared of the, of the Amityville Horror remake too. So I don't know what that says. (laughs) That's not a ringing endorsement for me being afraid of the fog. I steered clear clear of all those films in that time i was i didn't like horror films that much growing up yeah i mean yeah i i I would say it's definitely something that like that grew on me as well i spent a lot of time watching that at like my friend's house we'd watch all the horror movies on pay-per-view like as they came out oh yeah like all those terrible (laughs) (laughs) mid-2000s yeah stuff yeah, oh that was that was a dark time for horror definitely and that's kind of when i got into it yeah, you have like the, the ring and um, what are those other ones? The Grudge. Yeah. Oh yeah, like all the all the American versions of like the Japanese classics were kind of coming out in that period. There were a lot of remakes. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to think. Is there anything from that time that like I actually like a horror movie that I actually thought was like pretty good? I'm trying to think. <laughs> I can't right, uh, I can't come up with one right now but uh, you know. I remember I remember actually I enjoyed a movie called The Host I think it was called oh, it was like a South Korean yeah, horror yeah, yeah, film yeah. Okay that was a that was a good movie from I think that general period So Deborah Hill never actually got to participate in that remake is what you're saying No no she did she did that oh, was she did that was that was her her last things cuz they they worked yeah. on that together I believe Mm. Yeah, her and Carpenter. That was their last yeah. last project together. Well, what, what um, did Carpenter actually do on the remake? I, I think he was mostly just a consultant. I think because um, I, I seem to remember uh, I was watching an interview with Carpenter where he was talking about like uh, doing remakes, and he was <laughs> his favorite kind of remake <laughs> is where they just hand him money and then he doesn't <laughs> have to do anything. Yeah, I think it was kind of like that. Because uh, I, <laughs> yeah. I think it was the fog he was talking about. But yeah, I was watching right. an interview where he was like, yeah, basically, I just put my name on it and yeah. like went into the set once and said, hey, how's it going? And then left. Yeah, because he was saying like <laughs> when they remade the thing, he didn't get any money from that because he didn't work on the script. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So if you're a director and you want more money, work on the script a little bit. Always work on the script. Get that writing credit. Exactly. Get that writing credit. Um, Then they'll have to pay you if they use it again. Yeah. Speaking of which, writing credits, uh, Deborah Hill. 
um given at how like influential and prolific her career was i was um i was pretty disappointed with how little information i was able to to find about her mm, she yeah. she like she gave interviews um but like mostly there's kind of retrospective interviews about halloween and other right so there weren't a lot like at at the time or she wasn't like uh consulted no. at least uh on that pardon uh, or at least people weren't like asking her to do interviews and stuff like that. Well, I watched. There was like one interview um, after the fog was made that interviewed like uh, um, Janet Leigh and Jenny Lee Cur- Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, uh, Carpenter and and De- Deborah Hill. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the only interview I found with her from that time period. Right. Um, and everything else, yeah, is kind of like retrospective stuff. Just like um, stuff, like about Halloween and about other Carpenter projects. Yeah, I mean that is one thing that I found researching this whole thing is that like, there's so much information about Halloween, but like oh, yeah. all the all the other movies that all these people worked on, like there's really not as much, or anywhere no, close well, to that. None of them quite reached the same level um, as as Halloween, I, I think. Yeah, although yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, Halloween is kind of amazing, like how how they managed to get that um, get that whole thing made, and then that it was so successful on such a tiny budget. Yeah, well, a lot of that is is apparently um, because of Deborah Hill. Right. Okay. Like she apparently she ran like a really tight ship budget wise. Right. She, um, she like you know counting rolls of duct tape and and. Um, all, all that sort of thing, but apparently okay. everyone still loved her on the set, right? Okay, um, which is a weird kind of uh, two traits to have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't often hear those things mentioned in the running same Running a tight ship and also people not hating you. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh... <laughs> um, that movie yeah. had a little bit less to do special effects wise than some of his other movies, though. Yeah, and actually, um, her the in the beginning of Halloween. Um, when you've got Michael Myers' perspective, mm-hmm. um, and he like picks up that toy and then stabs his sister or whatever, or babysitter, um, those are th- those are Deborah Hill's hands. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. They didn't have the child actor for very long, and so yeah, I imagine working with child actors hands? is actually like not easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, as we're talking about, she's 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 definitely most famous for her her work on the halloween franchise yeah so did you work on the later the the later movies for with halloween um well she was involved in a couple of them i think wasn't she yes she and carpenter produced and wrote the second one i believe right um and then they they just produced the third one Mm mm-hmm and then they both came back for that early 2000s revamp, I think. Right. I think. Um, she she co-wrote, as I said earlier, she co-wrote uh, Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. later on. Um, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, she did a lot of the uh, this whole... All, all the Carpenter movies, really, right? Well, um, that early period, like the last one, she she kind of they kind of went their separate ways after after Escape from New York a little bit. Oh, okay. Like she so didn't have she much wasn't to involved do with... on They Live or anything, was she? No, no, okay. she wasn't really involved after after um, Escape okay. from New York. 
Um, she, but yeah, after, after escape from New York, she kind of went on to start her own kind of production company essentially. And she, um, she worked on a bunch of films over her, her, her career. She worked on, uh, early on after, um, escape from New York. She worked on, I don't know if you've seen the movie, the dead zone. Uh, no, I haven't. It's no. a, it's a Stephen King adaptation. It's directed by David Cronenberg. Oh, oh. Uh, a contemporary yeah, of, of, of Carpenter. <laughs> no, not Carpenter. Sorry. No, no. I'm saying, um, uh, uh, Cronenberg is a contemporary of Carpenter. Oh, right. They, they yeah, worked. Sorry. Yeah. They worked on like similar kinds of movies. Although yes, Cronenberg's yeah, were yeah. obviously like both more successful and more disgusting. Yeah, horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, then after that, she started making, like, a, um, she made, like, a few kind of comedy films. Like, she, you know the Clue movie? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah, interested in it, but yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of its existence. She started um, a company, a production company, with a woman named Linda Obst. And they, they produced, this production company produced uh, Cl- the Clue movie, um, they did Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, yeah, I remember um, seeing that. Yeah. yeah. They did a few others. In the 90s, they did, um, I don't know if you've heard of the movie The Fisher King. No, I, I can't, a, can't Jeff, recall it. Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams film. Yeah. Um, oh, sounds interesting. But uh... It is interesting. I started watching it the other day because it sounded interesting. Yeah. And I got, I got about two-thirds of the way through before it lost me. <laughs> so you thought it was interesting, but you were wrong kind of yeah. yeah okay <laughs> yeah um growing up deborah hill moved around a lot yeah um one of the towns she lived in was a town called haddonfield new jersey mm. now haddonfield uh it's just a funny fun little trivia it's the town in a uh, halloween yep oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. i should know that <laughs> um, except, except it's not in it, it's not in new jersey in in the movie i believe it's in illinois right uh, um, d- d- interesting thing about the the setting of that movie didn't they have to because uh, they actually filmed it in california i don't believe they filmed it in illinois yeah they did in california so um that, you can see palm trees in a couple shots. yeah yeah <laughs> and actually they had to like bring in a bunch of dead leaves to make it look like it was like fall yeah <laughs> yeah it must have been a very interesting call to make uh, we have to be careful that we don't just start talking about halloween because yeah, it's honestly, true. Yes, definitely. looking up this film trying to like learn about the fog i just by accident of having to like, look through facts. shit, yeah. Yeah. I learned more about Halloween. Than yeah. I, I know fog. a lot about who's, Halloween after having done. The whose film. idea was it to cover the fog specifically? Because it it's me. kind of it's kind of a niche thing to cover. It's not one of his most famous things. Well, yes, and I think that's that's why I wanted to do it because it's. Um, I mean, on this podcast, we generally haven't done like movies that uh, that often get a lot of spotlight on them. Yeah. yeah, or at least spotlight in the way that we give it. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, uh... um, and and it, yeah, it's just, it's an interesting uh, way to look at, at at all the people involved in their careers. It's just like right after Halloween, what are you gonna do next? Um, oh, you're it's gonna just do... interesting. Yeah, yeah. I remember it's one of the tidbits of trivia I remember reading was that they spent about three times the budget of the movie on advertising. For it yeah it's like the three fog, million yeah. yeah i mean actually it's it seems like they it worked out well because i mean on a one million dollar budget or if you include the advertising three million i guess they made like a 20 million dollar profit so that's yeah a, yeah it's a good. very profitable movie considering yeah. what they put into it exactly 
And it filmed in a pretty short amount of time, too, didn't it? Sorry? It, it filmed in a very short amount of time. Well, they like, filmed it, very... it in a short amount of time, but uh, as we'll get into, there was some... Yeah. <laughs> there was some stuff after the yeah. filming completed that uh, we'll yeah. talk about. Yeah. Um, when she was... Uh, when Deborah Hill was growing up, just she... She encountered... Uh, like a couple other people who would go on to 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 be in film like in in Haddonfield um like Steven Spielberg lived briefly in Haddon County oh interesting near Haddonfield um and then this guy like a producer who went on to make some big budget films also lived in Haddonfield and um when she was growing up she used to hang out with a guy named Tom Sims and this is just really like uh kind of out of nowhere fact really pointless fact okay. that i'm about to give Tell you guys here tom sims. um tom sims is is credited as the inventor of snowboarding wait wait what what yeah <laughs> what? he's credited as he invented like snowboarding apparently yeah he used to if talk i was to her. a snowboarding enthusiast would i know who tom sims is i don't know maybe probably well because he 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 apparently would always talk about the idea of like uh, surfing, but on 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 uh, on, on skis. Okay. Um, surfing. And on after skis. he, after after he invented the surfboard, Tom Sims, uh, to uh, he went on to be a stunt double for James Bond or uh, uh for, for which one? Yeah, in a view to a kill. Yes. Um, what's his name? I'm blanking. Why am I blanking on his name? Roger Moore. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's amazing. Um, that's yeah. That's this a guy very out, out, out there fact, but uh... yeah, yeah. Apparently that, that fact is, is apparently what went on to popularize snowboarding was was this in this film. This guy oh, because it. Uh, oh, because did did he snowboard in the movie? Yeah, there's like a yeah. A that's the whole scene. opening. That's the whole opening. Is this really really long like skiing snowboarding helicopter chase scene? Right, I'm just trying and to remember. And all the credits are in reference of it. Of all of the, uh, like, all of the James Bond movies, like, blend into my head. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Like, because, uh, I mean, Roger Moore made so many fucking movies. <laughs> like, they all... And they were not the best era no, of them no, either. No, they're not. <laughs> they were entertaining, though, so. Yeah. It's fine. That, that yeah, one was also great. Sequence. That one was yeah. great because it had, like, Christopher Walken and Grace Jones oh, in it, too. That was what? such a good one. I gotta rewatch this movie because uh, I've definitely seen it, but uh, I, but yeah, I I just went ahead and googled, googled Tom Sims, and yeah, he seems to be legit. He's the real deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, He's also a world snowboarding champion. Yeah. Which is odd I'd... because you would think I mean seems to have an advantage, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah, he invented the sport. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm surprised he's not still the champion. <laughs> yeah, he's also world champion skateboarder. Oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah. How old is he? Does it say? He's he was born in the year 1950, so. Uh, wow. He's dead though. Wow. Oh. Uh, yeah. Rest, rest in, in peace, peace. Tom Sims. Did he die in a snowboarding accident? Uh, no. I he was no. Uh, complications due to cardiac arrest oh that's, oh, that's very sad okay um 
I think we should probably move on from the snowboarding detour we just took. <laughs> I suppose if you want, if you, if you, uh, yeah. we should, we arm. should, we should give Deborah Hill some more, some <laughs> yeah, more of the time get, she yeah. deserves here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She she studied uh, initially. She went to uh, Temple's University. She studied sociology. Okay. Um, and apparently she was so proficient that they offered her a fellowship. Jeez. Um, but she was not into that, and she, she decided to go instead, make movies. Well, initially she didn't know what she wanted to do, so she she took a, a job as a flight attendant okay. in order to uh, um, see the world, as it were. I see. Um, while she was working as a flight attendant, she um, started dating a musician named Monty Alexander. Right. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's a, he's a Jamaican jazz musician, and he's quite a significant deal. He's got records. Okay. I, I've never heard of him, there. but uh, I'm sure... Uh... Not so, too into yeah. the jazz, but uh, I could, uh... <laughs> she uh, so she moved to Jamaica for a brief period, right? Um, and uh, while she was dating Monty Alexander, and she actually started writing liner notes for records. Oh, okay, that's interesting. While she was there, but then she she eventually returned to the states, yeah. and this area of her life is very kind of hazy in terms of it's very difficult to kind of find out what she was doing yeah <laughs> but from what i understand she was offered a job by playboy oh okay that's an um, odd segue but yeah sure yeah so <laughs> but she instead of taking this job at playboy she turns it down yeah so she she went to la um before her father growing up had been a salesman that's why they moved around so much right um, but before he had been a salesman, he had worked in Hollywood as like an art director. Um, yeah. I couldn't really find too much information about him. So I don't know that he worked on anything particularly high profile, but he was able to help her get into, into a union or whatever. And she got, just got simple Hollywood jobs working as like a, a PA. Right. Okay. And she like worked her way up the ladder. And so, uh, Keaton, do you just want to say quickly for anybody who doesn't know what does a pa do um they take everybody's shit all the time and live life within a hellscape <laughs> um, yeah so they're basically like an assistant kind of they, they yeah they, they like a gopher kind of they're, yeah. pa stands for production assistant yeah yeah, yeah. um i believe and from what, everything I've heard about it, it's just basically you just do what you're told by exactly. whoever tells yeah. you to do it. Yeah. It doesn't sound fun. No, it sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Um, but she stuck it out and, uh, you know, got other jobs, eventually kind of worked her way up to script supervisor. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's how she, as I mentioned earlier, that's how she met John Carpenter uh, working on Assault on Precinct 13. And... Mimi, as you mentioned, they uh, they be- they began a romantic relationship um, after assault on Precinct Thirteen. This period is kind of foggy. It's kind of hard to get total foggy? details, but. Boom! <laughs> 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 oh my god! Uh, um... Good job. <laughs> this guy named. Uh, Irwin Yablanis. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a distributor for Assault on uh, Precinct 13. He distributed it in the UK, where it kind of got a little bit of uh, attention. Mm-hmm. Um, he 
he had the basic idea for Halloween. He was like, okay, I want to make a, a film about babysitters being tormented. Um, I've <laughs> so got this a rather, a rather vague uh, requirement. Yeah. So he he hires uh, a Hill and Carpenter to make the movie with uh, like a small budget. I think it was like 300 something thousand dollars, something like that. Yeah. Um, so they wrote that for, for uh, not exactly a it's not a production company it's like a distribution company called avco embassy yeah yeah, yeah. uh that and that they comes up on a couple of these uh, these movies including the fog i believe doesn't it yeah yeah they distributed mm-hmm. halloween they they kind of they distributed the fog um yeah so when when writing halloween um deborah hill apparently wrote like all the women's dialogue Right, like all the chatter between the between the high school girls, apparently. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't, I, 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 I couldn't imagine John Carpenter writing that. <laughs> no, um, which kind of makes up the bulk of the movie. Really. Yeah, it is a lot it's of the movie, yeah. actually. Yeah. Believable. Yeah, I mean, if the whole, that's if what the like whole all the humanizing was... elements of that movie are. Would be a bit more out there because, like, Doctor Loomis is a crazy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, she so she she took on a huge role in in that film. As I said, she was like you know uh, penny pincher, making sure everything was on budget. Um, that's a that's her... a theme that's going to come up in this movie, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, she um, she she was the one who cast Jamie Lee Curtis. It was her her idea um in halloween okay um she cast jamie lee curtis who is deborah hill's biggest fan oh yeah um if you've if you watch any interview about jamie lee curtis talking about deborah hill jamie lee curtis loves deborah hill she always talks about her um like she's the greatest person ever uh, because she basically started her career. Yeah, I mean, um, this yeah. movie, uh, sorry, uh, Halloween and this movie, The Fog, definitely were, like, kick-started Jamie Lee Curtis's career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and she knows it, and she, she, she talks about that, and apparently even um, after Deborah Hill passed away, um, at every, like, Halloween event f- that Jamie Lee Curtis attends, she always tries to bring up Deborah Hill and always gives her, like, as much credit as she can right so she she's her biggest advocate really yeah that's really touching it is it is yeah um yeah i mean yeah yeah, she definitely doesn't get talked about nearly as much as i think is 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 necessary deborah hill yeah yeah i agree and i think i think jamie curtis knows that (laughs) yeah because i mean yeah you watch you watch halloween and you watch this movie and then you watch like escape from new york and things like that like you you see deborah hill's name popping up all over the thing in like different in different credited roles too like yeah she does and like it's like she does tons of stuff and she's clearly doing a lot but it just it doesn't get talked about i feel like yeah she gets she gets shafted unfortunately yeah most because john carpenter is such like a big like personal brand yeah definitely it kind of overshadows her unfortunately yeah yeah and i mean there's obviously the major inherent sexism of the industry at the time yeah yeah yeah, that almost goes without saying which is yeah exactly i mean why this is 19 1978 halloween was 1970 yeah seven or eight yeah Um, yeah so uh like basically definitely there in the industry yeah exactly 
acutely and still is very acutely aware of that. Yeah, yeah. And the importance of people like Deborah Hill. Yeah, like, and Deborah Hill was like a, a huge advocate for like women in film. She she would she gave like a a, a notable speech for like an organization called uh, Women in Film mm-hmm. or something, and, and it was notable being like people said like yeah she said like hopefully there'll, there'll come a day when it can just be people in film and we won't have to use that identifier. Um, but, That's a very poignant thing. Yeah, yeah. But what, what's kind of depressing uh, is like ten years later, like twenty fifteen, one of the other co-founders said like oh yeah it's we still need women in film we're not yeah. nearly anywhere close oh, and yeah. uh, you know, this is even before the the fucking weinstein shit oh yeah, yeah. so yeah, i mean they're... no we're nowhere close to not needing that yeah we're still nowhere close to not needing to acknowledge that like oscar winning female director yeah exactly this is, is really embarrassing <laughs> Yeah, it's really embarrassing. It like, what, uh, what, like the eighty-fifth Oscars or something? Yeah, it was a. Uh, oh my god, I can't believe. Like, so f- I'm the worst. Like, my first thought is like the most like inherently sexist thought. What? I was like, I was like, oh yeah, who? What? Who was that? Oh yeah, James Cameron's wife. Oh what? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or ex-wife. You're talking about the Hurt like, Locker, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly, the Hurt yeah. Locker. Yeah, she, like, that was like I, I can't remember. I was like in a. Uh, when that was a thing yeah, yeah sh- like, why am i blanking on her name though that's so irritating bigelow or bigelow b in there i thought it was bigelow i don't know i don't, I don't know. know how to pronounce it i don't know i think bigelow sounds bigelow? yeah okay we'll go with that sounds more reasonable um yeah she won 2009 and it was funny because it was the it was the same year that avatar was was there and avatar oh, yeah. was Did nominated it- and it was, it was kind of hilarious because hurt locker won uh best picture and she won best best director or something yeah yeah but i mean obviously like, avatar got the money so yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah yep um actually it it kind of astounds me like how much i i, I don't want to uh, maybe i will dig james cameron because i think he deserves it but um yeah it, it kind of astounds me how much money james cameron has done where like i don't think any of his movies really deserve like the amount of commercial well, success that he's got he's just like those two films really like i mean obviously he's made tons of like high grossing films yeah but like obviously titanic and avatar titanic be, and avatar were yeah. the kind of the ones that boosted his and those uh, were the and those were the biggest investment to make as well yeah yeah, yeah. Like, like he broke his own record and spending money to make the films yeah yeah anyway so digs the james cameron aside uh, <laughs> let's uh yeah continue. um so we want to get back to, to deborah hill yeah, we're still yeah. we're still kind of in, in the Halloween right. period. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is just after Halloween. Halloween is obviously a huge box office success, but it it, it happens really slowly apparently, because um, like the way it was screened, um, they because it's a, such a small production company, and uh, such an independent process that they they would kind of release it on staggered dates. So like they take all the reels to like one city and release it for a while, then take a bunch of reels to another city and release it there because right. they just didn't have enough reels to do like a right because duplicating film is fucking expensive. Yeah, yeah. like I, I looked into this a while ago, and like even I mean now actually it's probably more expensive than it was back then, but like it's really fucking expensive. <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they made like what like 
77 million or something like that I don't 60 know. to 70 million somewhere around there yeah right right um but uh yeah but see this is playing in like mostly sort of smaller theaters and things like that right yeah at, at first but like it eventually the, the, yeah this was sort of one of those uh uh midnight movies for a while wasn't it yeah and it, and it was critics critics didn't really like it like initially well i mean they can go fuck themselves but like you know yeah exactly yeah. whatever that's doesn't clearly defines nothing yeah. <laughs> um so so they weren't really sure when they started making the fog but at mimi as you mentioned uh earlier they were in london for the for the london film festival and um they decided to to visit stonehenge um, stonehenge where the demons the demons dwell, <laughs> where the banshees live and they do live they do. well we should, uh, i would say we should do that movie at some point but that it might be too uh, too obvious Oh, we have to do that movie. Yeah, we'll, yeah we'll do it. We'll I do still it. think Star Chaser, Legend of Warren. Oh, Star, Star Chaser's on there as well. That's All a great right. movie. Demons live, and they do. Sorry, the Banshees live, and they do live well. What happened there? Yeah, well, the, the demons were dwelling there for sure because they went to Stonehenge, apparently, <laughs> and it was like this really creepy vibe, and it was like kind of misty. And then they like looked out over yeah, a hill. There was and some fog rolling. There was like a huge, a huge, huge fog bank. Fog bank. In. Yeah. And uh, 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 Carter, like, you know, elbowed Deborah Hill and was like, what do you think's in there? Like, what's creeping in there? And they, uh, that's obviously where the, the idea for the film came yeah. from. Which is, you can you can see them being there so clearly yeah. in, like, the whole aesthetic and vibe of this film. It's, like, yeah. so clear what they were seeing there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but before they are able to make this film, um, Carpenter's hired to make a four tv movie oh um, I, I know this one it's called uh someone's watching me oh wait no this yeah, is a different an exclamation TV point that i'm thinking what of. movie were you thinking of i'm thinking of elvis oh yeah he made that movie uh, as well he made two, yeah. these two movies in a short period he made elvis and he made uh uh someone's watching me at, with an exclamation point right um but he apparently wrote someone's watching me specifically for um adrian barbo oh yes who who will we will find out will we go will, on to star to her. in the fog yeah. he he had like seen her on tv and he kind of like wrote this role with her in mind called her and she was like yeah yeah i'm into it so so they made this tv movie called someone's watching me mm-hmm. um and so then did deborah hill write that as well no she wasn't she wasn't involved in that film i don't think okay what about elvis i don't think so either okay um Maybe though I, I I'm not sure I didn't see that come up at all. Right, but uh, yeah, obviously Elvis has uh, Kurt Russell in it, who is a Kurt uh, Russell in it, yeah. Who would uh, who would later be a frequent collaborator with uh, with John Carpenter? Yeah, he yeah he escaped from New York, uh, the thing, escape from L.A. Yeah. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, big showdown. Uh, big, big trouble showdown. Big, big, big trouble, trouble in Little China. China. Yeah, that's yeah. a weird movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, Carpenter. So he he writes this film for uh, uh, Barbo, and they. I don't know if that's how you pronounce her name. I think it is. I think it, it Barbo. I mean Barbo. Very minor difference, but. Uh, anyway, they meet, and this area is <laughs> this area is very foggy as well. Foggy. Um, they they meet. Hill and Carpenter break up. Yeah. And then Carpenter marries Adrian Barbo. Yep. 
um, in a... And they were married at the time they were filming the vlog. Right, so they, yeah. so Bar- Barbo and him were married at the time. They were married before, yeah, even before they started filming. Right, okay. So this really brief period in, like, 1979. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, they get, Hill and Carpenter get a second deal with Avco to make a second movie with a, a much bigger budget than Halloween because it yeah. was successful. They get a million dollars this time, a whopping million. <sighs> wow. <laughs> Which is, you know, what? That's, like, 300% more than, the, than Halloween. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like but it also is a much more ambitious special effects. Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah. Yeah. That situation. true. I mean, yeah, so Halloween was about 300,000, and this is about uh, a million, so yeah. Yeah, and that's the millions, that's production budget. That's not accounting the advertising budget, yeah, as you mentioned. But, they, uh, they did have yeah. like a three or four million dollar advertising yeah, budget. I think with like the reshoots, they brought it up to about 1.1 million. Right, like, okay. Yeah. Total for everything. Right. So. Yeah, so they write they write the fog, and Carpenter writes the lead uh, role for for his new wife Barbo. Mm-hmm. Um, she's cast as the lead, um, Stevie Wayne. <laughs> yeah, I practice. Yeah, you missed your calling, Jake. I mean, I'm kind of <laughs> doing it right now, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not on. We're not on. We're not on the radio, although. Uh... Well, well, we'll get it on the on the air. I like wouldn't even be remotely surprised if you actually had a transmitter. Uh, I do, but it's not very powerful. Nobody will hear us. That was correct. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to be uh, on the same block. Exactly. As we were. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so Deborah Hill curse. Uh, Deb- curse. So there's a curse. Curse. <laughs> well, so there Deborah is Hill a curse. Curses Jamie uh... Lee Curtis. <laughs> really. Um, <laughs> No, is so it, she is casts... it about uh, is it that uh, a bunch of dead sailors would come back and uh, a hundred years from now and kill her? <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been a hundred years, so we'll see if Jamie Lee Curtis comes back as a ghost uh, and tries <laughs> to kill anybody. Then we'll know that she was cursed. Right. Okay. Um, but no, uh, Deborah Hill casts Jamie Lee Curtis in that role as well. Good and casting. They also, they also cast since you know they figured they had her. Um, and they wanted to work with her. They also cast uh, Janet Leigh, right. Jamie Lee Curtis's oh, mother. Yes. yes. Yeah. Also uh, was in the film Psycho, I believe. Yeah, she was she the. Yeah, she was the connective tissue there. Yes. Yes, she. Uh, she says <laughs> apparently she said that she's still afraid of showers after. After. Um, yeah. Janet Leigh is. That's reasonable. Because yeah. didn't really? I, like I don't know too too much about that film, but didn't he like terrorize his actors? Like he uh, was Hitchcock? very cute. Yeah, he was kind of Kubrick yeah, in could that. Definitely in that. be like that. Like that's where Kubrick got it. Really was was from Alfred Hitchcock like terrorizing his actors to get really good. Like yeah, well I, I'm sure it wasn't just because of like trying to get the good. Uh, no, job, no, but, but uh, yeah, he definitely he definitely did that. That that's gonna happen, like like knowing, sorry, that like filming the scene and seeing like all the cameras and everything that you would that uh, that that would kind of desensitize you to the whole uh, scare think, factor but... about it. But maybe she just associates it with like being terrorized by, uh, by yeah, like I mean, so... like like Shelley Duvall, like oh no, yeah, she was isn't uh... like she doesn't remember it poorly because like uh. uh... 
she was afraid. She was just like abused by Kubrick yeah. and Nicholson throughout yeah. the whole. She just production. associates that whole thing with. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, Janet Leigh didn't like. Maybe she hides it well, but she didn't seem she, like she seemed to that she was like talking about it fondly. Right. Like, okay. In that film. Yeah. Not every time, but I'd say one out of ten times I'm in a shower, I, I think about that scene. You think about that scene? Especially, like, a... like, if you're in one with a curtain, like, if yeah. you don't have, like, the protective, like, slidey glass door, you're like, yeah. I could die here. Yeah. Do you ever, like, occasionally check on the other side? Do you, do you, do you act on it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, it doesn't matter getting in there how are they i mean unless there's some kind of like ghost pirate or sorry not pirate i keep saying pirate <laughs> ghost you sailing. think they would be pirates yeah, that's the thing it's like so much about they it seem like pirates. indicates there's, pirates there's this whole bit where they they have like the pirate ship not pirate, that's pirate <laughs> exactly it they looks have, like, like a ship come out of the fog and then i mean and and watching that scene i was like oh my god you know this ship must look like garbage because they're only showing it in <laughs> and they only show it for like that, well, well, no, that that brings us that brings us actually to our next point um this uh i think maybe mentioned this earlier um they they did a take of this they, they filmed this movie they finished it off um john carpenter watched the final cut and he was like oh yeah. this is terrible yeah yeah, this is yeah. actively terrible, like, and it's not scary enough. And so yeah. initially, he was gunning for a PG rating, um, which I think they like. Initially, they were trying to tell. Uh, this would be like the first PG rating that he would have ever yeah. got, I imagine. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, Precinct Thirteen has a six-year-old being shot in the face, and then there's boobs in Halloween. Yeah. So, yeah. Know. Funny how those things are like ranked as equally scandalous yeah exactly yeah sorry what <laughs> oh a six-year-old being shot in the face and boobs yeah it's like in the... <laughs> you're right you're right and the fact that you just listed it so matter-of-factly too is, is good <laughs> sorry but yeah no that's sorry. just the way the mpa is yeah. it. it's kind of yeah. strange now the anymore, only right? thing more heinous than child murder <laughs> boobs, boobs. <laughs> well specifically nipples if, if yeah, yeah, that's true. Specifically, yeah. If, Definitely not, if not kosher. If there's no nips, it can be G, for Christ's sake. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah, God. initially they had, um, they had intended... So they, so actually, sorry, in Assault of Precinct 13, they have a child getting murdered, and then in Halloween, they have a child doing the murdering. Interesting uh, switch. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, Deborah Hill doing the murdering yeah Deborah right Hill's... i mean it, it's implied that it's a yeah a, tiny little hands yeah <laughs> tiny little hands just knowing that those are her tiny hands makes me very happy yeah and they do that weird camera effect that like kind of almost fisheye effect to make them look a little smaller too i think yeah actually yeah. i think uh we're gonna get to this but oh no we won't because we're not talking about all <laughs> <laughs> we keep forgetting <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I see. So I know they shot that thing with a steady cam, right? Yeah, they did. So I'm just thinking of like, what would Deborah Hill have had to do to get in between the camera operator 
and the steady cam and put her hands like right yeah there. it would have been a very awkward there is you know, like there was some awkward, awkward upright like, spooning yeah she probably yeah. had to climb onto the operator's back and like and she... yeah the operator being dean yeah. Gundy, by the way who we will talk about yeah. um um yeah so uh, initially when they were writing this film um the the idea of of the villain was a lot less defined um there weren't they didn't really conceptualize these beings within the fog it was more kind of like a mysterious fog rolls over and 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 people people start dying so um uh, I don't. I to be. I'm not exactly sure, but um, it, it was. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they never released this cut, yeah. so it's, it's hard um, to know for yeah. sure. But the fact that you say that though is very interesting because I think that there's still definitely elements of that yeah. in the final cut because they definitely don't flesh them out as realized villains. Well, yeah, as you all. said, they. I mean, yeah, as you said, they, they, they after john carpenter saw this cut he was like oh this is unworkable they went back and did a bunch of reshoots and basically what they did after they when they reworked it was they 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 made these sailors the actual kind of villains these zombie-like creatures in the fog like essentially any close-up shot of violence um was shot after any like the the whole scene with the uh with the clipper ship the mast ship three masted ship that was shot afterwards the whole murder scene on the seagrass was shot later the bits where uh where the priest is reading the uh the diary um i think that's that's from the initial like because i think the general story was there like about that but i think like i don't but they didn't show the uh no so that's a lot of reshoots. Yeah. yeah, well, as Mimi was yeah. saying, like it's it's like a third of the movie ended yeah, wow. up being that's reshoots. That's more than I would have thought. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's it's actually really surprising, and I didn't know that when I initially watched it. For my second viewing of it, I did know that, and it really, it's really, really apparent. It is, yeah, and you can pick them out really easily. Extent that that was done. Yeah. Especially is a reshoot. Like there's a lot of close shots, especially for the violence, and it gives it like this weird kind of claustrophobic yeah. feeling that you originally think is kind of a str- like a strategy for like coy t- storytelling. Yeah. But then it's because they haven't actually fully realized these guys yeah, as right. villains, and it wasn't written with that intent. Feel really like. When they first come in, especially in that scene, like on the seagrass, and you kind of see like their outlines, you're like, okay, they're not quite ready to reveal them fully yet. Like they're not quite ready to like show you the full monster, you know, when like they're like just psyching you up for the monster. You, you, they didn't have a monster really. They, they they weren't ready and that's why there never really feels like there's a full whole reveal with them and that they're ever fully realized is because they're just not you get a scene with them all kind of standing yeah up the but in, yeah. but it doesn't really have the same impact you're not like especially yeah. for the fact that they wrote them in as lepers i found really yeah. interesting because like they're yeah, not pirates really the fact that across. they're it doesn't come across and it and it's trying to i find it strange that they included it because they're not going to visually utilize the inherent horror yeah. of leprosy well, i mean I, I i think the idea was just to make uh <laughs> to make uh the uh the act of murdering them sound even more heinous yeah but i just find it interesting like 
it, it definitely it makes it more tragic but it, i was really surprised yeah. that they didn't utilize that like in a more body horror way well when they were showing well i mean it's not a david cronenberg movie. no but when they went back to um to do the reshoots they were almost in- entirely out of time so uh, okay they, yeah. all the reshoots like a third of the movie was shot in like you know uh, a much shorter time period than the rest of it right yeah there's definitely constraints uh, yeah i mean it, that's the case with this movie and that's definitely the case with halloween as well that they're definitely like sort of external constraints on what happens in the, in the movie that have to do with time and budget and things like that i mean yeah. and uh and halloween luckily uh you know kind of worked despite that and i mean i i would say this movie worked pretty well as well but uh in which it worked in some ways and which it didn't i feel like as a story almost being told to you this works but as like a horror movie with actual monsters in it in a lot of ways i don't think it works fully like it works like it would almost work like as a book i think really well better than something that's relying well on like visual like horror. a book like a book almost like uh like a Stephen King. <laughs> yeah, like something something where like ambiance and suspense can be built, but there isn't you don't need that yeah. visual payoff of there being a monster. Like that's the thing. It's right. just like you wait and wait and wait for this monster and then it's like not fully there. And it's yeah, not what you right. thought it would be. You know the way it's built up and the details that are included seem almost arbitrary in the final realization yeah well of the monster right we're under this pressure um to to make it more gory and because like you know Mm -hmm. contemporary films at the time were like coming out there yeah they're all bloodbaths yeah so yeah and i would definitely say also the audience that like enjoyed halloween or whatever were definitely used to a very like uh exploitation kyle style yeah yeah um like slow burn suspense ambiance yeah, atmosphere definitely. like there it was it was a lot more heavy on that and I, yeah for sure like, th- this film is like it, it it really illustrates all of the people involved who were talented it illustrates their talents really well but it also illustrates their mm-hmm. their, their faults like um, yeah it's very polarized yeah there's a lot of like, really good things about this movie and a lot of terrible things about this like, movie i think the major problem with this movie is like the script just wasn't finished <laughs> like it just it just doesn't feel finished this movie actually is like i thought if they like kind of trimmed it down a little bit like uh, i i feel like we don't get enough time to sit with any of the characters yeah i agree i agree because I, I feel like they um they have too many different parallel storylines yeah exactly one of the first things i I remember saying to keaton when i first watched this movie not having done any research was that i think that this story needed either more characters or less characters yeah like there was there was a lot we had a lot of kind of like mid-ground characters none of which we knew super well and then we had like no extras in the important moments of the movie where extras would have helped you know like we had extras in like the moments where they were like doing the little town ceremony and stuff, but then as yeah. soon as any of the action happened, then they were missing, and that was really, really noticeable for me. Right. Yeah. Like, so the the way I would have done it is uh, I would I would have had it so that it was basically just three characters, which is uh, you have with um, <laughs> Nick Castle, I guess, and, uh, and uh, what's what's Jamie Lee Curtis's character in this movie? Elizabeth Sully. 
Yeah. Which exactly. is that I was unclear if that's supposed to be like a harbinger of like the Elizabeth Dane, like that she's oh. like oh, bringing I, I it back. Probably, like I was wondering maybe. about that. Maybe it is. Because because the way she says her name, like the way she's like, oh, like she's hesitant to say her name, and then she's like Elizabeth, and I'm like, oh, is that like sin- oh. significant? Is she supposed I, to be yeah, like a, har- a harbinger of this? Yeah, I suppose we'll never know I mean, because we don't see the original cut. They said they said uh, I think it was John Carpenter uh, said it in, in an interview. It was supposed to be like a little bit of like, oh, look, she's come to town and everything started to change. Like she is kind of a harbinger, right? In a way, because I mean they do address that and in a story sense. Yeah, she in a, is in a campfire triggering story it. kind of way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she is. She is the she is the change in the status quo that right. allows but, the story to kind of move in the way it does. My point, anyway, is that she doesn't actually get enough screen time. No, no, no not, not at all. Yeah. She's, she's, yeah. you know, by far the the most uh, 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 competent. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, what I would have done is I would have turned it down to just uh, just her and Nick Castle, and then Stevie Wayne on KAB. He did. If you talk to the priest, and like you could, yeah, exactly. Have friggin um uh jamie lee curtis talking to the yeah yeah they um, don't they, they they only really need those other two characters for that exchange with father malone where exactly, he's reading yeah. them the journal that's the only yeah. part no, where they actually are necessary have, you could just have um elizabeth and nick go up there yeah exactly like their, their parts could be interchangeable exactly, but for some yeah. reason they felt that it needed to be yeah character for her like they just wanted her in the film yeah so they exactly yeah. this character they want, yeah i yeah. mean yeah i guess yeah which is very obvious because she doesn't really need to be there she's fun to watch being credited as nancy loomis who is unfortunately yeah. i think the worst actress <laughs> yeah she's not great in the whole thing and reading reading that she had worked with them in a lot of stuff after that really surprised me i'm like yeah. wow i thought you were kind of one of unfortunately yeah, I thought you were bad yeah, I thought you were kind of one of the weakest links to this whole yeah. thing. Unfortunately, her and the child actor were, to me, like, the biggest standouts of, like, bad acting. Oh, yeah, he wasn't great. He was... Yeah. In my notes, I literally wrote, This neat piece of wood, in all caps. <laughs> yeah. To remember just the bizarre... The It's a weird line. Like, no one could have delivered that line right. And then no. that kid delivered it the worst <laughs> that line could possibly be. He didn't be think it could be that bad, and then it did. He thought, yeah. Like, it's a stupid line, but it's also read in the worst way. Yeah, I thought it was bad, but you exceeded my expectations. Leon, <laughs> I remember, like, his first scene texting Mimi, because she watched it before I did, actually, I think. Texting her being like, oh, it's rough. Like, it's hard to watch yeah. it sometimes. Like, his character could have been cut out. Why did, like... Oh, he was unnecessary. He was completely unnecessary. Uh, I mean, there's the whole... Where they go to save him, but they could have easily... He could have just easily been some kid she knew about. Like, because she didn't... Yeah, yeah. he doesn't need to be in many... Because her reaction, like, with the... the, um, Like, at the radio station, when she's trying to, like, save him, is, like, honestly not that moving of a scene. It's like... No, no, it isn't. And, like... They don't really do anything to establish their relationship either. Like they don't really have like um. Yeah. No, she, he wakes her up in one scene, and those—that's literally the only scene they have yeah. together. Is her saying like, "Oh, you found this wood, this neat piece of yeah. wood. <laughs> oh, you're kind of annoying." <laughs> and then the scene ends. I mean, and you're like, okay. So then, like, her emotional response in the later scenes is just like, 
Honestly, I hate this kid so much. I will, I'm in I will favor say, of the ghosts getting him. That's a rather neat piece of wood. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm uh, sorry. That was one of my favorite points in the movie was that that um, line. Like, there's, there's the whole scene where they have like the um, the water coming out of the wood. Oh yeah, yeah. And then the piece of wood catches fire, and I was actually thinking about like how how would they have done that? Yeah. To get to have yeah. the water kind of bubbling up through the wood, and I, I think what they must have done, tiny little holes, and then kind of pumped it through. Yeah, that was what I would have assumed too. And so, see, so they must have used like a really tiny drill bit for that. But yeah, quickly that whole scene went by. Like it seemed really rushed to me. Yeah. rewind it to like get the full information load of that scene yeah because like, that's, that's the one time you're hearing be... directly from the villain yeah oh uh, the bit on the, the the voice on the tape recorder you're talking about yeah yeah so that the first time yeah i was watching it like i was just no. like okay i actually need to rewatch this to like take in all the information because like so much plot is actually delivered to you in that scene and it's over in like a second yeah Yeah. so like i i found both viewings i did so i watched that scene like four times at least (laughs) yeah in order to make sure i was like not missing anything what's happening yeah Yeah. fair enough yeah it's definitely kind of weird like the first time i i saw it this is probably more about me than the movie but i literally didn't even see that it said six must die i was just I was just distracted by the fact that it was the piece of wood, and I was like, "Why did she bring this with her?" Uh, but more, more than six people die in this movie, I think. No, actually, only six people die Don't in this they? movie. I feel like I was doing more people thing. should die in this yeah. movie, but only six well, they people try die. They tried to kill Stevie Wayne, but I guess she doesn't die. Yeah, she just gets stabbed in the shoulder and then just is fine. Dean Cundy, because we're 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 getting into some of ter- the territory. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, Jake, if you wanna if you wanna tell us a little bit about this character, Dean Cundy. I I, I did some research on this this, this man, Dean Cundy, uh, legend. Um, it's because there are, I I only I only bother to look into the legends. <laughs> you know, no one else is worth my time. I'm sure he's yeah, very I'm flattered. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I mean. Uh, yeah, so so we kind of talk about like we were kind of getting at this is that there's kind of like a a group of people that are kind of involved in like uh, a couple different movies that happen starting with Assault on Precinct Thirteen and then um, going into some of the later uh, John Carpenter movies and, and one of the most prominent figures sort of in that uh, in that group is is Dean Cundey. So Dean Cundy was uh, the director of photography on uh, on The Fog, the movie that we're doing, and um, he was also the director of photography on Halloween. Uh, one of the reasons Deborah Hill hired him um... is because he owned a bunch of gear. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. as we were saying, we were talking about the penny pitching earlier, and uh, basically... Um, so yeah, so basically Dean Cundy, uh, he drove around in this this van that was that was uh, full of a bunch of gear, and then like, uh, uh, because uh, because 
basically they were trying to save as much money as possible. They hired him basically because he owned a camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it works. And I mean, he's actually. Um, but the interesting thing I find about Dean Cundy is because we have sort of this group of people like uh, uh, Deborah Hill and John Carpenter, and like as successful as John Carpenter kind of was, like he never kind of broke out of that um, um, that kind of genre cult films kind of thing. Yeah, and like obviously uh, Deborah Hill did not. Uh, Another uh, another exception in addition to Dean Cundy would be also uh, Jamie Lee Curtis obviously did as well. But, yeah, uh, but uh, but Dean Cundy uh, definitely moved on to bigger and better things, which I <laughs> I, I find most interesting. Uh, yeah, what else did he do? Called I don't know Jurassic Park. Photography Jurassic Park, and he talks about like um, when he was doing that, he, he he learned a lot from working with John Carpenter and trying to make all these these, these rubber uh, <laughs> these rubber creatures look real, right? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Did he that's do? Very interesting. He did do the thing. Okay, well, uh, he did pretty that, much. Okay, so as far as John Carpenter hand in both of those is very clear and i think it's probably what's one of the best things about both of those movies yeah so so dean Cundey, as far as john carpenter movies did uh halloween he did uh the fog he did halloween 2 he did the thing um wow uh i really want to watch jurassic park again knowing that information yeah, it does change things a bit, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. It makes me want to like look for his kind of style because he definitely has a style in all of those movies. Yeah. yeah so, um, so basically, he did. Uh, he 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 would try to uh, do all the lighting to make the rubber look real and stuff like that, and then he worked with the CGI people wow. uh, to try to advise them on how to make their. Um, uh, their CGI match the real thing. So he kind of, oh, like, midwifed the transition between practical and CGI effects. Yeah, wow. Yes, yeah, I would say That's so. That's professional. Quite something, yeah. I know, what, what, what a fucking pro. And, and so, That's wild. Uh, yeah, not only did he do that, but, I mean, I, I assume uh, Spielberg uh, had uh, had used him on Jurassic Park because he'd previously shot Hook with him. Oh really? Oh yeah, my God. that's where yeah. it comes up again. Yeah. That that's 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 our other hook connection. Yeah. And you know, Dean Cundey also worked on um, a couple other movies you may have heard of, like Back to the Future One, Two, and Three. <laughs> I did know that. That's that's awesome. Yeah. That's great. That is very good. Uh, he worked on another movie, which I mean, I know you've heard of because it's Apollo Thirteen. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe <laughs> yeah. like uh, I can't believe we didn't mention that when we were doing the, yeah uh, the, like. The, uh, like, the podcast on given we it, it got a little bloated towards the end so yeah but, perhaps uh, it's yeah. for the best and we got to talk about him now uh director of photography but he's an excellent director of photography in zero gravity <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah <laughs> so not, not many, many people. people not many people can put that on their resume that they yeah. shot a film in zero gravity yeah, yeah that's, I, I, that's just wild. a quick throwback for mimi i don't know a lot of the apollo 13 shots were uh uh shot in zero gravity if you weren't if you weren't familiar with i that. never was actually sure how they did that they yeah they, so they did they did it on a plane yeah they just dived a plane a bunch of times yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. wow that's oh, wild. Not yeah. bad for a dude who started out because he had a camera and a van. 
He had yeah. a camera and a van. And eventually, <laughs> he's 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 basically an and astronaut. and Deborah Hill liked him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. And I, yeah, he was he was nominated uh, for the Academy Award for his work on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. What? Really? Uh, that was yeah. he wasn't nominated for other things, just Roger Rabbit. No, it was just Roger Rabbit. Well, I mean, oh yeah, God. for in terms of uh, Academy Awards, yeah. Right. That's right. very strange, actually. That is weird. Did he win? Yeah, win? and so one of the things I find interesting about uh, uh, Dean Gundy is like, uh, I think he worked really well with John Carpenter because I mean, like, I've I've seen some interviews with him and like, he seems to have very much the same like really dry sense of humor that John Carpenter does. <laughs> yeah. And like, um, even though obviously I think Dean Cundey was probably more successful in terms of like getting to work on really big movies than, uh, yeah. than he was, they both seem rather a little bit bitter about the whole, uh, industry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do kind of get that vibe from, from watching interviews with both of them. Yeah. Um, and, um, sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he did like basically, uh, almost every John Carpenter movie. That definitely yeah. there's definitely a style that I think that he brings to those that's almost synonymous with with Carpenter. Yeah, well, yeah, especially as Jake said cuz of all those earlier films when Carpenter was like really kind of uh uh setting his um creating his aesthetic and his style uh is pretty much like the visual representation of that is Dean Cundey's work. So Yeah, yeah. And I mean as we were talking about um Earlier, we were talking about uh, uh, Halloween, the intro bit. Sorry, the intro bit with the uh, word that we're allowed to put her in. <laughs> yeah, in. yeah. So, like, um, apparently, like, he just owned a steady cam, and that's why they did that. Yeah, like, he had a bunch of equipment, not just a camera. It's he just had tons like, of, like uh, equipment as well, like the steady cam. The steady cam was a Panaglide version of the steady cam. Uh, situation and uh, they uh, the lights while they were doing that one take because uh, so the sh- it all basically happens in one shot so they start outside the thing outside of the, the the house and then they look in and so they see one thing happening and then so as he's coming around the house, they have to move all the lights so that when he comes into the house, right. the lighting is set up oh, for the exposure wow. that they have inside the house. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's a maneuver. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And so they had to... That's a really good... long shot. Yeah. Yeah. So so they actually... they The actual scene in the movie, there was a cut in there, but that was only so that they could splice two different takes yeah. together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes sense. So, but they actually did have to do the whole thing. Wow. Well. Uh, one move like i was impressed enough by like the remake that they did in 2018 doing some pretty good long shots but that's ridiculous yeah yeah like to imagine doing it with like the 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 first version of that technology yeah exactly it's it's it's, and then i what i find interesting is like how did they get deborah hill into there so that she could put her hands in i don't know (laughs) pretty funny looking was she just like standing in front of him the whole time just kind of like shuffling have... along. <laughs> like I have to imagine that there's like some set set photographs of it. Yeah, it must have been hilarious. It must have been silly. Yeah. Now that I've gone through a little bit of that, would you say it's fair to call him a legend? 
Yeah, it's totally fair. Yeah, okay. Totally yeah. fair. It definitely was, makes yeah. me want to watch the remake of 2018 again and see where they're mimicking. Yeah. Like, mimicking his style from the original yeah. Halloween. Like, I'd be very interested to see kind of, like, how they try and represent that because that is such a huge part of that movie's identity. Just me. That is, like, every time you say his name... It's really hard to not think of the dirty word. Yeah. That his name <laughs> vaguely sounds uh, like. Yeah, it does a little bit, but um, Dean Cunt. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's oh, no. look at the, how do you pronounce this? Um, <laughs> Is it Kundi? Kundi? I don't think so. No, it's got to be Kundi. Dean Kundi. Dean Kundi. Yeah. That's a fine name, Dean Kundi. <laughs> not yeah. even remotely uh, dirty at all. It doesn't have the uh, the pronunciation next to his name. Dean Cundy. Um, as we mentioned earlier, there's there's many many film techniques that are called upon regularly in uh in Carpenter films, um, uh, because of Dean Cundy, um, but also because of like you know as we've been mentioning this kind of uh, clique of horror people, um. So I just wanted to mention a couple of other people briefly who were involved in, in some of that early work. Um, you got production designer um, and editor on The Fog, Tommy Lee Wallace. Um, he also worked on Halloween as, as production designer and editor as well. Um, he also would go on, he kind of took over the, the Halloween uh, mantle by, he wrote and directed Halloween 3 because Deborah Hill and John Carpenter were kind of like, yeah, they were like, we can't continue the franchise. Yeah. We're not. We're it it not, got it yeah. got weird very quickly. I could, I, I could imagine being tired of it at that point. Yeah. It strays pretty far from what I think they initially intended. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's the only reason they like signed on to even produce it. I think was because uh, they were like, we can't. We, I don't want Michael Myers to even be in it. Like, it's got to be a different. Right. So yeah, t- Tommy Lee Wallace wrote and directed that. Um, he also would go on to write and direct the uh, It miniseries. Hmm. Oh um, yeah, in the a little bit later. Um, another guy who's kind of cool who was involved in in um, uh, who's involved in the fog is a guy named um, Rob Botton. Yeah, Botan. I don't really know how you pronounce it. Botan. Botan. Um, he worked as a, a makeups uh, makeup effects supervisor on the fog. And he actually he played the the evil ghost pirate. Um, oh, oh yeah, I remember. I remember seeing oh, yeah? the the little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, because huh. apparently he he like expressed a bit of a role, uh, or uh, uh, he expressed a bit of an, a want to be in the film. He was like, oh, maybe I could have a small little role in the film. Um, yeah. And Carpenter was like, stand up. Um, and he so he did, thinking Carpenter was gonna like be like, get out of here, um, you're not gonna do it. But Carpenter was like. Yeah, you're about the right size. Because he was like 6'5". Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they yeah, definitely was... didn't want to hire any new actors because of the budget. So yeah. Like, um, so you're already he... here. You but can do yeah, it. This guy, this guy already had kind of a, 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 a the beginnings of a special effects career. He had already oh, yeah. worked on uh, Star Wars um, as like a, cons- uh, not a consultant, as like an assistant makeup, hmm. um, makeup assistant. He worked on Star Wars. Yeah, he yeah. worked on Fury. He worked on Piranha. Um, all before he worked on um, the, fog. the Fog, and then after the Fog, he would go on to work on um, like 
the Twilight Zone movie. Um, okay. He did. This is interesting. He did the. He did the. Um, like he was in charge of the special and creature effects for the thing. Like oh, he was well. in charge of the oh. that whole operation. Yeah, that's that's um, a pretty that's a pretty big job. Yeah. yeah. So actually, he probably um, um, him and Dean Cundy probably learned a lot from each other about how you would film um effects Rubber. like that yeah. yeah um robocop uh robocop oh. 3 he worked on the great outdoors with john candy uh oh, yeah. basic instinct mission impossible fight club oh, charlie's wow. angels tons of stuff um so he's a he's a a prolific figure who kind of got a start um from from uh, that clique super well showcased in the fog part of that was as we said earlier it was kind of speedily shot so yeah. i don't know that it was it was the kind of stuff you'd want to fully yeah like, well that's the thing like the... if he'd if he'd been given more time and budget i'm sure it would have been very impressive like if the film was shot with those things even intended to be in it in the first place it would have been cool like, I'm sure he could have done something very interesting, and I feel like that's kind of a missed opportunity. Being like, yeah, we're going to do these ghost sailors. He could have really flushed out some cool fucking shit. Yeah. But... And especially, like, when you first hear that that's what the story's going to be, you get so excited for that. Yeah. You get so excited for the concept, and when you first see that ship, you're like, oh, God, it's like, it looks like Pirates of the Caribbean here. Like, this is excellent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you just never see yeah. it again and it's like oh it's a bit disappointing yeah you're like oh i wanted the ghost ship but <laughs> yeah definitely i want the leprosy pirates they're like uh, um some of the people who had like a, a pretty uh major effect on on the john carpenter feel that we were talking about that kind of atmosphere that he creates um and i think like we should start we should talk a little bit about like how he actually does this like particularly in relation to the fog um like the types of things he uses like you say he, he does use a steady cam not it's not quite as as, as a uh as obvious as in halloween but uh we oh pans like even at the beginning when they like that 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 yeah that's the shot. entire entire beginning like third of that movie almost is like all these like panning establishing shots in all his movies he does he kind of establish atmospheres establishes an atmosphere by doing these like slow pans across a room and like you know showing you what's in it and like uh stuff like that like the montage at the beginning of this movie that kind of ghostly uh, uh um poltergeisty montage is all these just like you know slow pans over this uh, uh sleepy fisher uh um fishing town about his lighting um the use of lighting which i think probably is mostly dean cundy's work but um in terms of pulling it off i don't really know where the whose idea um it, it comes from initially it's hard to say that's kind of where the director and the and the the get on that word 
depends on the type of people you're talking about but th- i think this is yeah. one of the instances where the line is particularly blurred yeah um, yeah also especially because given the budget everybody wears a lot of hats yeah, yeah. exactly so you you don't have like a, a lighting crew or whatever yeah um i just thought they, they made really good use of like the 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 shadows in the in the, the in this film uh, like what do you what are you specifically thinking of um well there's that like they just do a lot of um hard cuts from like or not cuts exactly but hard shifts from like super dark to like there's like a really focused light that's casting a dramatic shadow like the scene when um nick castle is about to like you think um he might be killed by by the ghost because he's like in the fogs in front of his house and it's the day before and like his clock breaks there's that like scene where like uh, all of a sudden like the light comes on him and it's like the shadow through the door and it's like this is like i don't know there's there's a bunch of shots like where they kind of use shadows in this like dramatic change of lighting um the fog moving over stuff too yeah is used a lot yeah they also did like a lot of like color filters in different scenes like where they're like they'd be looking at like a console or something and like their face is all lit up red or green like depending on where they are that's that's another thing is like the the these kind of like um tonal lighting that that they use a lot in in a lot of carpenter films earlier carpenter films like halloween and and, and the thing as well has that a lot the entire area is like washed in one color sort of yeah yeah um this brings me i wanted to ask you jake um they they did a lot of obviously fog special effects um and it's thanks that uh, probably <laughs> want to do at least a little bit of that in this movie yeah um and it is kind of interesting how, how they managed to do that and i was wondering if you could maybe if you had an idea how they might have done that as i was watching this like how they might have done that because i was looking at it and i was thinking okay you know, the fog in this shot definitely looks like it's not part of the shot. Like, it, it to me, it looked like it was, like, kind of superimposed. So what I think, and also there was such a volume of fog that I think it would have been, like, um, sort of, you know, not necessarily feasible to create as much fog as they did. Yeah. Well, cause so you I think they basically did wide it. wide shots. Yeah, exactly. Well, I t- sorry I, to interrupt you. This, I totally huge thing we forgot to mention is is the the aspect ratio that this film is shot in is um uh, we got this far without like, talking about well, what it's just a a, a widescreen 2.35 well, like anamorphic panavision yeah. yeah which but it's like well, yeah i mean most of the character movies were yeah. done that way but it was particularly yeah, well, used in this one to give it the vibe that it wasn't super low budget yeah i mean because dean dean cundy had a panavision lens so he yeah, <laughs> people, people would always say though, like you don't like it's a, it's not yeah. an intuitive way to make a horror film because that type of shot oh, makes, right. makes close ups makes really hard look... to do. Yeah, because you've got yeah, all that definitely. all that's that um, um, space space. But anyway, yeah. sorry, I just thought that was an interesting uh, 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 point. Yeah, and they always use that extra space to have kind of something else going on, which I think is 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 super cool, and it makes it look really good or like something yeah. like there's like the atmosphere encroaching on the character in yeah, some way yeah. i mean it, and yes it, it also definitely makes the film look less cheap yeah but sorry you were they 
speculating. Yeah, yeah. How you think they they did it based on so so it. I was thinking they basically did it in three ways. Into the scene and lit it, and I think that there are some <laughs> be a some good way scenes to do which it. are yeah that would be the obvious way, wouldn't it? But yeah, so there are some scenes like kind of in the lighthouse and stuff where they must have done that because I couldn't see how else they would have done it. And like that's fine because you're in an enclosed space, so like the fog's not gonna. No, like if it's like a small yeah, window. Exactly. Yeah. Whenever you don't need a huge volume of fog, because generally if you do a lot of fog in a really large space, it's gonna dissipate and it's not gonna look very good. Just hand. Yes, I've I've done that in our in our amateur filmmaking experience. We've we've done that. Trying to herd yeah. the fog. So the other thing that I think they must have done is uh especially for that that particular scene where the fog is coming in off the shore is i think they must have used a model yeah because it's not it's not in that much detail the thing is kind of dark and everything and then there's some fog so i think that's what they did there shot in a film and like the cheapest looking shot (laughs) is that like kind of when she's like looking out the window and like explaining where the fog's going just entirely animated when i saw that right. it just it's just it's not a good shot and it really kind no, of cheapens everything a little bit um, so and then i think the the final thing and i think this is probably how they did most of the fog was that they essentially shot a little bit of fog on a black background zoomed in and then by means of an optical printer they must have superimposed that onto the actual original shot that's pretty accurate i think um do you want to know how how they did that um so basically for all the all the you were correct about like the uh the smaller scenes are just you know uh, they're just a fog machine they're just a fog machine they're or dry ice or whatever yeah. yeah a bunch of uh poor special effects people fanning fog all day every day into small spaces <laughs> trying to keep it contained um yeah so that was the first bit but um how they did those um those like bigger shots of like uh, uh buildings and like the street and like the um the fog rolling into the bay um you were right they 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 did do it on a, on a black background but they, it, it was a little more complex than that. What they, what they did was um, they would take the shot, say they were doing it of uh, um, somebody's house. It was the shot of, uh, of whatever. I forget. I can't believe I'm blanking on the main character's name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that shot of her house where like the fog starts to kind of envelop it. Um, so they'd get the like standing shot of the, of the house and then they'd use that to construct like a, um, uh, like a black shape, like of the house. They'd recreate the shape of the house on like a black background using like a black. Pouring over the top of it, like which is like essentially cut out of like black paper or what? Like a three-dimensional shape for the fog to interact with and then they'd superimpose it. Okay, yeah. Right. Okay. Like models 
um, based on the shapes of, of the things that the fog were supposed to interact with. And then, yeah, and then they would like, so, because on a smaller scale, they could kind of cool the fog and make it a little bit more like lingering and like... Or... Yeah. yeah, they could. Yeah, because it. obviously, if you had tried to actually cover that house in fog, that would have been insanely difficult. Because fog tends to to fan out, you know, it tends to dissipate. Very cartoony in a lot of scenes because, like, the individual yeah. like curls of fog were so exaggerated. Like, if yeah. and I think that's probably why it looked like that. Yeah kind of like weird and mystical like because it glows in the yeah. Yeah. shots and it's like obviously real fog doesn't glow yeah i don't know my biggest I tell anyone that my my biggest confusion was like the difference in like how it looked when the characters were actually present with it versus how it looked in that terrible window shot like that it <laughs> yeah, just looked exactly. like somebody like painted a streak and then like animated it moving along this greenish black blob that was the land apparently like we only had her word on it that it was interacting with the town at all like we couldn't we couldn't see it yeah like it's oh it's it's going downtown everybody go to the church it's like what are you talking about it just looks like a blob on a blob (laughs) that was i think what i got really frustrated was during that (laughs) scene i was just like what is happening that's why everybody needs to tune into KAB so they can <laughs> yeah. know what's going on with the Yeah, this whole thing is just a cautionary <laughs> tale about always being tuned into the radio. Yeah. Yeah. Specifically, KAB. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, continue. Cool, some other cool practical effects um, that that they did were... I think I think you mentioned this when, you, when we were talking about it right after you watched the film, Mimi. Um, that like kind of shots of the fog receding yeah how they like would reverse the fog or like i love that one scene on the seagrass when they're trying to show it going on like it to the under deck area like the engine yeah room. getting sucked into yeah the, into i the... really like that i thought that was probably one of my favorite shots of the whole movie actually was just them yeah. putting it in there and then reversing it so it like looked like it was like getting sucked in there i thought yeah. that was really so neat. when the fog so they just ran the film back yeah exactly yeah, yeah. when the fog yeah. receded they had they ran it backwards but what made it so interesting is that scene on top of the lighthouse um where the fog recedes it's got uh, um adrian uh, barbeau in it which means that she had to act that scene backwards like like the re- oh, the relief from the fog transitioning into the, like what's going on transitioning into like fear of the creatures yeah it's flailing like, really, around with yeah. the hook yeah all of that and acted backwards huh. you're not allowed to well not you, you can't really blink when you're doing that because blinking looks really weird when oh. You reverse it. oh yeah because i couldn't imagine reverse blinking yeah but yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. Um, just all these like cool little things that they they creatively figured out to to on a budget make things look interesting. And like another thing that I wonder if they considered uh, before doing this movie how difficult it is to control fog. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they <laughs> thought fully into it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but different personalities and different shots like you could tell that there were days where it just wasn't like working with them <laughs> where it like looks thin yeah, and good. like it's been a while since it was like made or released or yeah. but they're like 
Running out I'm of sorry, fog. John. We're out of dry ice. It's uh, it's <laughs> not it's not coming out right today. Um, <laughs> takes in this that I was like really surprised by. Like there was a lot of takes like that didn't even have the fog that were just like people talking. That I'm like, really? That take? That's that, that's what we're going with. Um, making a film on a budget. Uh, another way that John Carpenter, A, uh, totally, like, gave his films such distinct atmospheres and worked a bit on a budget was the fact that he made his own music for a lot of his films. Um, yeah, so it is fantastic. It's, it's, in my opinion, it's better than Halloween's music. Um, like... I mean, he he made some advances in in terms of music making. Well, why uh, don't when he when he got to that? Why don't you tell us a bit about yeah. the music? Enlighten us, Jake. nothing but like two mirrors and that music <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh welcome to the music section uh <laughs> aka john carpenter is a hack and how to write a john carpenter how to write a john carpenter theme in 30 seconds or less <laughs> yeah tell me how to write a john carpenter theme in 30 seconds Okay, so as we know, um, I, 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 I kid, I kid. John Carpenter was a was a fine composer. So as we know, John Carpenter had a bit of a musical background, uh, and so he generally composed all the themes to his movies. Uh, uh, like I know he did the early ones, but do you, he did. Oh, really? Uh, in fact, they even brought him back on the most recent Halloween movie just to do the music. Oh, that's cool. That's music. Yeah, I was as I was looking into him, I kind of yeah, I kind of noticed that. Yeah, I don't know if you ever listened to his uh, his albums, uh, his more recent albums, but uh, Lost Themes One and Two, fantastic records. Yeah, is it check just, him out? Yeah, is it just like um, it would imply that it kind of is. So the idea is uh Basically, he made uh, a bunch of music with his son uh, as like uh, themes to uh, to non-existent movies. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, but it, it's a uh, it's a new material, new recordings of some of his uh, his his uh, more well-known scores. Did his uh, his music on. Uh, on keyboards uh generally in uh in halloween it's a lot of piano and actually there's a lot of piano in this in this movie as well um basically he just 
he got to doing scores because when he was working on student films, basically nobody else knew how to make uh, make music. So everybody else just asked, oh, hey, John, you can do the music, right? And so, and so he ended up doing that. And um, yeah, uh, exactly, exactly. So it's a whole uh, whole thing. It's uh, it's a, you do what you can do in these in these kind of low budget movies. And um, so he did a lot of piano stuff early on, but uh, you can kind of hear starting in like uh, actually even starting in uh, in uh, Dark Star, uh, he starts using uh, synthesizers. And uh, and John Carpenter was saying like uh, he uses he likes to use synthesizers because sound really I think yeah he 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 says he can sound big uh, when it's just him hmm. yeah very much so. yeah and 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 yeah I, de- I definitely get that because it's um, it's definitely it's definitely the the way to go because you can uh, you can tweak all these different things um, and so. Um, Specifically on 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 the fog, you can hear that he's definitely he's definitely made an upgrade uh, on his on his synthesizer setup. Uh, so basically, you can hear on the uh, on on Halloween that all the synthesizer is basically just like uh, one one note at a time. So it's he's using monophonic synthesizers, uh, which which were less advanced, so you could only play one note at a time. But you can hear in the fog in the themes he sort of has like some some lot some polyphonic synthesizer lines uh played up high and 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 you can see that he probably took some of the some of the money that he saved on uh, <laughs> on, on uh, halloween by doing his own score and some of the money he made and he, he bought himself a big old polysynth uh so 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 these are analog uh analog synthesizers uh unlike the the digital synthesizers like the dx7 which uh <laughs> which you may have heard of if you listen to the podcast um <laughs> much about if you listen to the podcast <laughs> yeah so uh, as for the specific synthesizer that he used i can't i can't give you an actual answer because although i strongly suspect that it is a sequential circuits profit five because i know that he owned one and <laughs> Sorry, because I, I I've seen uh, a lot of photos of of his uh, his <laughs> studio and when he was recording some of the later themes, not specifically this one, because there's actually not a lot of photos of this one. So so, but moving on um, into this film specifically, uh, he kind of talks about. Um, the whole production of this film in general, how he thought it was basically kind of a huge mess, like originally. And then he watched, he, he, he did the movie and then he, uh, he, he, he did a score and then he, he thought it was just absolutely terrible and everything. And then they decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to rescore it too. And so, um, he has some help from his friend, Dan Wyman, who also helped him do some of the, uh, um, mixing and uh, and such for uh, Assault on Precinct 13 and Halloween. Sort of very sort of uh, simple melodic lines, um, but with like a really big kind of fat sound. It, it, that's kind of the, um, I would say, the uh, 
the general idea of most of his style because it's like it really yeah it's really rather like imposing and it it it, it adds a lot to his movies i think tension i felt from the ending like few scenes of this movie was the soundtrack like that was what was giving it all of its oomph and all of its like tension like if you just had that stuff on its own it wouldn't be scary but that soundtrack made it really scary and yeah i would say to to most of his films it adds a ton beat and banging that kind of matched up with like the knocking on the lighthouse like i thought that was really well done in fact i think that his so well that i think it's funny that when they did the thing uh basically the studio wouldn't let him record his own soundtrack because it was like cool because they were like dude no we're not gonna let you do the fucking soundtrack you're 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 too close to it right so they they hired a reason to do the soundtrack yeah i know so they hired ennio morricone who is a legendary soundtrack writer uh worked on some some movies uh like the good the bad and the ugly etc um and so then I think the funniest part is that Hugh Morricone essentially sits down and writes the whole thing and then does a John Carpenter impression the whole time. <laughs> I thought he did the, for some reason. The no, because it sounds exactly like him. But yeah, it's, it's in fact just Ennio Morricone, legendary Hollywood soundtrack writer, being like, oh, I really need to sound like fucking John Carpenter in a garage. Like... The atmosphere yeah, became exactly. so tied in with that kind of like like tinny synth, like that little... Like, yeah, his whole atmosphere was tied in with that. Yeah, which his films move like it always like makes perfect sense with like the soundtrack. It almost seems like the soundtrack is kind of dictating the pace of the film in a lot of ways. Alluding to earlier, this segment is called "How to Write a John Carpenter Theme <laughs> in Thirty Seconds or Less." So I'm I'm hoping that I can teach you how to do that. Yes, please. So, um, so I happen to have with me here. You can't see it because this is audio only. <laughs> I have a big old analog polysynth. <laughs> of course, you do. I can see where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is a, this is not a profit five. Unfortunately, I, I, I those are more expensive than I have money for. Um, but uh, this is a little bit after. This is a 1983 Roland JX3P. Uh, but <laughs> it should it should do the business. Oh my goodness! I have a sort of sound uh, that that may sound a bit like a John Carpenter movie. You hear that? It's eating at my brain. <laughs> <laughs> so. You're gonna want some like really simple low low bass line, so like <laughs> and, and then and then you're gonna you're gonna wanna add the high part. So you're going to want to do something real creepy sounding like. (laughs) 
And, and hopefully, once you start doing that, you get some kind of creepy sounding lines that start to sort of sound like a John Carpenter soundtrack. Hey, they really do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, really, it's... Uh, <laughs> you can see why he kind of went through this process of making uh, making his soundtracks, because it's, it's really a pretty quick way to turn around a, a pretty creepy sounding piece. A lot of formulaic aspects to how he goes about doing it. There are and I think that is part of surely what adds to that that um, um, oh definitely that atmosphere is 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 that they all have kind of similar uh, um, anatomies. There's a lot of credit for finding that formula that works, especially yeah. like especially with the technology developing at that time. Oh that yeah, he looked no, to no, that no, and um... was like, "Yes, this is the sound I want," especially like. I find it, like, contrasts in a really interesting way with, like, the whole setting of yeah, the fog in particular. Because it's, like, you've got this, like, sleepy fishing village, like, this, like, really, like, classic nautical ghost story. And you've got this, like, yeah. synth. And it's, like, really... It's very bizarre. It makes it kind of surreal almost. First. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It definitely gives it a very yeah, surreal it's definitely... element. Yeah, kind of dream very quality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Erythrial and like uh, creepy sounding mm -hmm. for sure. Creepy in like a different way than like the rest yeah. of the setting is creepy, and I think yeah, that's what sort of like an other otherworldly kind of. Yeah, uh, I think, and I think that's uh, one of the best things about this movie is the fact that so much of its creep factor is derived from the soundtrack. Like yeah. you have like yeah, these yeah, beautiful yeah. scenes where like people are like driving through like this picturesque place. But it's the soundtrack that's letting you know this is a, this is still creepy. There's still like stakes here, like yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. It definitely reminds you like you're still in this film. There's still spooky stuff happening, even with like the really beautiful setting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. Like, there's that one scene. The and it just seems like a nice day out in Southern California. Yeah. And uh, you know, but there's this real weird, creepy vibe to it because yeah. of this music. Yeah, and it's kind of got the sense of foreboding to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially like at this time, like if you were watching this film in theaters for the first time, this soundtrack would be even more like out of nowhere. Yeah. It'd be like booming, and like that when that um kind of organ-like sound kind of flushes out at the beginning. Yeah. It's like, whoa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, having this sound be really dated and, like, attributing it specifically to John Carpenter, but what if you're hearing this for yeah. the first time? Without yeah. that context, yeah. it would be even, like, weirder for doing that managed to do this style even before the technology was really there evident on like even movies like dark star and stuff like that and right. in, uh, in assault on precinct 13 where like you know yeah you couldn't just go out and buy a synthesizer and then sequence them like midi didn't exist like you couldn't like edit the notes on a computer for right. Her, right so it's pretty breaking it's, ground stuff really yeah groundbreaking uh, stuff yeah, and 
I, I've tried to mess around with sort of syncing up these machines to each other, and it's it's not an easy thing to do, <laughs> like, at all. The amount of time you probably it. spent, like, getting yeah, it perfect. it's been a tedious, tedious operation to get them all Exactly, up. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and especially uh, doing it on tape, uh, where tape has, like, a sort of tendency to drift a little bit in speed and stuff like that, and having to get that synced up to the film and everything, it must have been a huge hassle. Yeah. Everywhere. And like that's exactly. what you're working with. You're not working with files. You're working with these big rolls exactly. of very delicate material. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Medium to yeah. the whole process. Yeah. Just the amount and, of trouble we and... had setting up like just this today. Exactly. <laughs> versus setting that. up this podcast, yeah. <laughs> recording just this podcast is tough enough, but actually managing to do that. And I mean, it wasn't even necessarily obvious that he would have been able to watch the film while he was composing this. Like something as simple as just like being able to watch the film as you're writing the music. It's because you would have needed a projector. You would have needed a print of the film, which it probably wasn't even finished editing yet. Yeah. <laughs> long was it between like when that exactly like, that yeah, yeah, window yeah. shutter slammed and i'm gonna yeah, time it perfectly yeah. with this like that's fucking hard like i can't exactly and the fact that he basically did it all on his own with like something just like standard and like orchestral like the entire personality of the thing would be different like it would yeah, not be recognizable instantly yeah 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 definitely especially again like those last few scenes like that last fight scene is just so so integral yeah, that that whole last scene business is really kind of weird the movie and its pacing that is weird that they had to do those rewrites and change the whole thing a bit it just kind of doesn't come together in the end it's like two-thirds of the way there but then like there just wasn't the the, the amount of like they were obviously so rushed with so many things like we obviously discussed like the makeup and some of like the effects that they did but it's really apparent in the overall like storytelling that there's a lot of stuff that wasn't there and like there's even a couple scenes where like what the characters are saying happened versus what you witnessed happen is different the assistant woman i'm forgetting her name like sandy or something in the movie who was the nancy loomis character yeah like she was saying like oh yeah like my car alarm went off and like it woke the whole street up it's like no that is not what happened in that scene all the car alarms went off and then your chair flew across the room and he's like that she's not mentioning that and like her verbal portrayal of that scene is so different from what we witnessed it just makes it so clear that that hadn't actually happened in the production yet like it's just like you can see that there's a disconnect between like just like the scenes like the very fabric of the movie isn't quite coherent with itself attack that extra ending on actually <laughs> that he draws attention to it too he's just like why not me why not six and then they come and it's like what what was the point of that line even a sloppy ending. Yeah. I feel it just looked like they they brought it together and then we're like, wait, that's They're not like, scary oh, I guess enough. we gotta end it, right? You know, that's like, uh... the movie got me really hyped and I thought it was really strong, but unfortunately, it was one of those movies that kind of peters out towards the end. Like, 
basically by the time the fog enters, it kind of lost its <laughs> its drive. Which is pretty that's, early in the movie. That's also where you yes. gave up that like this was gonna have a plot that really did something with its characters. Yeah. Like yeah, it's it really yeah. sucks. Like I was really psyched for like the Jamie Lee Curtis character. Like I was like, oh, she's kind of mysterious. She rolls into town. She's like an artist. She has a backstory. Like, but none of that is important at all. Like, none of the characters' of personalities are important. They don't use them. Generally, you don't get to sit with any of the characters yeah. for long enough. And they don't like establish characters. They don't establish characters at all. It's just it's just these kind of uh, husks that deliver lines. And, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis does it the best. Like, her... Yeah. Well, I mean, you get a little bit of her character from, uh, from Stevie. Yeah, but her character and her backstory is entirely established through panning through, like, some photographs. Like, yeah. that's her entire backstory. And it feels really rushed, and especially as, like, you get that, and then you get the one scene with her kid, and then that's it. That's her character. Yeah. Yeah, you get it, it is is not from her or her dialogue. It's just yeah. from... And, like, from... a little bit of how she's interacting with the weatherman. Like, like a little bit there. It's like, oh, she's hard to get. She's mysterious. Like, that's not a yeah. character. The weatherman character was just st- stupid he his death <laughs> well, was the most die, glorious thing there. for me yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hold on sweetie her sweetheart oh, oh. he was oh, so yeah. he was so yeah. gross also just what a fucking dumbass when the fog started to roll he's like oh yeah what are they joking around with us now it's like to one of the film's shortcomings which is like it looks like someone's shining a light it's like yeah it does because that, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like, you're not some supposed shots, to point maybe. that out. Yeah, I'm just yeah. like, I'm like, yeah, because it is. That actually draws attention to the fact that it looks really maybe, bad. Maybe there. the actor was a little bit fed up with like, <laughs> the whole production. It was just like, yeah, fuck it, I'll just draw attention to yeah, it. Yeah, they just had him ad-lib that part, and that was his response. No, there was a lot of stuff in that movie There was like, there was just, like, a lot of missed potential, like, as I said before. It was, like, they didn't... The resolution had nothing to do with, like, any of the characters. Like, the resolution had nothing to do with any of their personalities, any strengths yeah, that were, like... No arcs. Yeah, there was, there, there was just nothing. I'm like, why did we learn about, like, Elizabeth Sully? Like, like what if, what if like, her, like, being an artist played into it in some way? Like, she recognized something as, like, a symbol or, like... There were I mean, so I'd many like to, opportunities. I'd like, to, I'd like to look at what was originally in the script. Yeah. Yeah. Character a little bit because they like, like the, the, the poster is of Jamie Lee Curtis, like being menaced by the fog. And it's like her in that scene. I mean, I think one of the reasons why they, they put Jamie Lee Curtis on the poster is obviously because, uh, it, full name. <laughs> person well i mean she was in halloween and the people who liked halloween were definitely already interested in this movie yeah yeah exactly they it just kind of right off the bat it, it kind of illustrates how hollow the characters are to the story yeah just like that 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 they felt okay with yeah i mean i guess she's not really the main character but this you can make the theatrical poster just yeah. Like, they kind of tried to make it an ensemble cast, but then didn't really. Yeah, and none of them interact, really. 
until the last bit. Yeah, like and as Mimi said, the 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 or has said the the range in acting ability. <laughs> have like such a huge difference. You've got like actual like good lines being delivered by one character and then terribly delivered by another one. It's just like it takes you out of it. It makes yeah. me laugh at some of it, but it does take you out of like any kind of suspension of disbelief you had going. But I don't know. There was a lot of like weird ways that they established characters too. Like I found the whole thing with Nick really weird because it was like the first scene we get with him, he's like driving, and then we find out like a whole like quarter of the movie later that he's actually a fisherman on a ship. And you're like, where did this come from? Why did why didn't why isn't the first time we saw him him doing something related to that? Rather than... They couldn't have had the hitchhiking. So. Yeah. Or I guess they could have just added that in later. Yeah, or like just shown like him leaving the docks. Mm-hmm. You know, like hanging up his rope for the day, leaving the docks, getting in his truck, you know? Like something like that. I, I just want to point out like the first time we see uh, him, he's actually drinking a Budweiser while driving his truck. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, like, yeah. true we get from him is literally that yeah that it's true that is that's his yeah. character that's right his there. like that's yeah. him that's them establishing character is that that one scene yeah but the radio yeah, yeah. okay that was such an awkward line and such an awkward response to it like i'll try and keep you turned on okay <laughs> i was like oh Please so stop. We're, kinda, we're wandering into that territory now. So um, I think before we get to our final thoughts on this film, um, I think it might be time for a little segment that asked for it. Nobody wants it, but guess what, everybody? You're getting it anyway. This is, in fact, the segment that nobody asked for nor wanted. This is Six Degrees of Star Trek. (laughs) But you're getting it anyway. Yeah, you're getting it anyway. Uh, So this is the segment in which we attempt to connect uh, people who were involved in this movie with the TV series or uh, media universe that is Star Trek. Star Trek Online, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> so, uh, so. Connections, uh, and we generally try to do three uh, connections per, per movie. And we're going to start with, uh, I'm going to start with Adrian Barbeau. In the uh, 1999 episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, she plays the Romulan Senator Kretak. In the episode Inter Arma and in Silent Legends. Which is a great episode. It's a great episode. Gets embroiled in a uh, a Section 31 plot uh, to do some kind of espionage on the Romulans. And uh, he's the Romulan. she, well, yeah, she is a, a Romulan senator, Senator Kretak. Yes, uh, and so that's a direct connection. Um, 
one degree. And so the next, we have a two degree. We're going to go through Dean Cundey today. Uh, so Dean Cundey was in uh, a couple movies. Well, he wasn't in them. He was the director of photography for some movies you might have heard of called uh, Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3. Indeed, yeah. Uh, Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3 uh, has a certain actor known as Christopher Lloyd who plays... <laughs> no! <laughs> uh, okay, Christopher yes. Lloyd is his own degrees of separation away from everything. <laughs> Lloyd uh, was also a uh, he played Doc Brown in in uh, <laughs> in Back to the Future. He played the uh, hell out of a Doc somewhat Brown. important character. Sir, he played the hell out of Doc Brown. He played the hell out of Doc Brown. Yeah, he did after. <laughs> yeah, including after. Uh, a movie called actually, yeah, in Star Trek Three, oh. which it was actually before Back to the Future. Really? Oh, he was just warming up then. <laughs> yeah, he was warming up to be in Doc Brown. I don't know if he'd already read the script and he was just like, "This is me." <laughs> like, I am. He Doc was just Brown. playing himself. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> Christopher Lloyd played Commander Krug, who was a Klingon commander in uh, Star Trek Three. Uh, right, yes. For uh, yeah, you. Uh, I'm not gonna put in any spoilers for that movie if you haven't seen it. Sorry, no. Our third example, our third, our third person. Uh, so this is a weird one, as I always try to do with boats. Today we are going through the film Halloween. This has nothing to do with boats, by the way. Oh, you guys! I thought, <laughs> I thought you were gonna be like one of the ships that the ship that was the seagrass was actually also in. Uh, uh, this, yeah, although this home. movie has a lot of boats in it, the Navy was not involved, so we don't get any Enterprises or anything like that. Shame. <laughs> but, um, so in, in the movie Halloween, the classic character Michael Myers is wearing a mask. He's wearing a mask? is supposedly well i mean not supposedly this is confirmed that that was sold as a captain kirk mask what yes that is supposed to be a mask of william yeah face. it's very disturbing what <laughs> it's rather it's disturbing. kind I've of the worst thing about that <laughs> they they painted it white so it's not like they didn't just take the mask off the off the shelf and put yeah it. but it is actually that supposed is... to be william shatner's face it, it's supposed to be William Shatner's face. That's truly horrifying. You should see it in the reboot. In the reboot, it's like even worse somehow because it's like filthy. I mean, it looks like maybe yeah. William Shatner's corpse that has been floating in like a puddle for exactly. <laughs> so yeah, so we go through any number of people that are involved in this movie, Jamie Lee Curtis or uh, Deborah Hill or John Carpenter or Dean Cundey. And uh, we go to Halloween from Halloween. We go through the disgusting mask on the face of Michael Myers <laughs> into, uh, into Star Trek. Take your pick. <laughs> Cause I Shatner. That's a good degree. I enjoyed that degree thoroughly. Yeah. That's yeah. a very good one. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's really good. <laughs> <laughs>
um, to the legal portion of our uh, of the podcast. This is by making it a work of critique so that we yes. can play the audio. Um, so <laughs> would you would you maybe start us off giving us maybe some of your final thoughts on this film? To summarize a lot of my feelings is like this movie has a lot of really good highs and really, really low lows. And just like as a whole movie, I enjoy it on a lot of different levels, but I don't think I could really classify it as a good movie in a lot of ways. Like if I were to just critique it like as a film as I would any other film. I would have to say it's probably not a successful movie, but I did enjoy it a lot overall. A scale of uh, one to ten, how would you? I don't even know if it's something that can be rated. Honestly, like giving yeah. it stars. To Is me... it a simultaneously like a two and a exactly seven depending seven. on what element yeah. of the film you're critiquing, and like that's what is kind of tragic about this to me is because there's so much potential and so much talent that went into this thing. And then so much, like, time constraints. And unfortunately, like, a degree of incompetency from certain actors, I think, as well, really, yeah. really did hurt you really hate I mean, that lady. <laughs> one thing that we can take solace in is that the people who did work on this movie went on to make Yeah, a lot of the good yeah. elements of this movie, like, really, like, did went on to do like good things and had successful careers and that is really good i think that there's on paper it almost feels like this story is being told to you by carpenter like it's like you can almost hear his voice being like oh and this happens and like this is the atmosphere and this is creepy it seems like the movie's being told to you rather than actually acted and you're observing it and have like a suspension of disbelief yeah it kind of has like a pitch vibe to it in a way Sorry, say that again. It kind of has like a pitch vibe, like someone's pitching it to you. Exactly, right. exactly. Like the entire movie the elements... sounds and almost feels like someone's trying to sell me the idea of this movie rather than I'm actually watching the movie and feel like completely immersed in the experience. So are you sold though? I'm sold in some ways and a lot of that way has to do with like a certain degree of nostalgia and like a certain degree of being able to like poke fun at a movie but still enjoy it. Like, yep. I don't know, this movie is very strange to me because oftentimes I look at, like, a really bad movie and it's, like, so bad that it's good and it's just, like, this wonderful circus of incompetence. But this one's a lot deeper yep. than that because there's, like, so much palpable talent in it. But then parts where you see, like, a ghost struggling to open a door. <laughs> and you're just, like... And, like, the ambiance is beautiful, and it's creepy. The soundtrack is creepy. And, like, there was a really good scene just before that. But they still use that take of the ghost struggling to open a door. And it's just, like, it's just so bizarre. Yeah. It's just such a bizarre <laughs> viewing experience because of that. And you've got, like, you've got, like, really good performances by Jamie Lee Curtis. But then you also have half of the movie where she says nothing and clutches to, like, Nick's arm. Yeah, and then that's basically all they give her. Yeah, and it's just like, from a writing standpoint, it's like, how could you do that to her? Story is is a little not very believable. Because about her, and then they just don't deliver on. Yeah, and I think she in particular 
is the worst example of this in the movie. She has she has the most told to you about her naturally that isn't just like directly told to you through yeah. like basically visual exposition. Like she's the only one who like naturally progresses her own character rather than just like having it stated to you in some way. And so she's the one I feel like that was done the most dirty by the writing in this, which is yeah. her motivation for her character, at least that I can see as to why she's sticking around yeah, no. down the whole. Movie. True. And she like, even is like, I'm going to Vancouver now. And then just does. Yeah. Maybe it's time I go back to Vancouver now or not back. Yeah. Cause she's continue on going, to Vancouver. But... And that there's no resolution with her at the end, too. I was just like, and there was no resolution with any of those characters. The only resolution any of them was yeah. given was that they survived. Not the priest. Yeah, or didn't. The, uh, the father gets a bit of... Yeah, he gets attacked with a sword. You know, <laughs> it, like, I guess that counts as, like, a satisfying conclusion because it's the best we're gonna get. Like, I was <laughs> yeah. already playing... <laughs> The, how it was going to go between, like, Elizabeth and Nick at the end. It's like, either she's going to stay or he's going to go with her to Vancouver. And I was, like, literally playing that in my head. It's like, it's not so bad around here or something. Or, like, maybe Vancouver's more exciting. Like, No, no, but, like, in reality, she just goes to Vancouver and he sticks around. Yeah. Like, that's what would happen. Yeah, but it's just, like, it's so weird to see yeah. something telegraphed to you so clearly and yeah. in such, like, a predictable yeah. way and then not get... Yeah any kind of follow through on them. I was like, okay, I guess they're alive, but like, what, what purpose do, do any of them have? Did they gain from this experience? Yeah. What did they learn? What's the, what are they like? How are they changed? It's like, they didn't have characters to get changed. So it's like, I mean, anyway, benefited from the experience. And there was no difference between them and like the characters that were just like randomly killed off. Except for Dan. I wanted Dan to die immediately. And, uh, like, what? Well, Dan's the weatherman, right? Dan, yeah, Dan's the weatherman. Wait, wait, is he Dan O'Bannon? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's the, he's the one named after, yeah, after the guy. Yeah, reference, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, as soon as he came on screen, I was like, yes, excellent, I hope he dies. But. <laughs> right. I, I don't hope Dan O'Bannon. Yeah, no, not him, but, like, the character. But, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, there's just, there's a lot of weird things about the writing in this that didn't make sense, and I was saying to Keaton earlier, like, the the writing was weird but then also some of the line delivery was really weird like like yes. uh the... especially from some of our our less yeah exactly like all like you know what the kid gets a pass because like he's a kid you know he's a kid in a low budget movie you know what he's annoying but like i don't really hold him to any kind of critical standard piece of wood so you know, you know what? If anything, he's a bonus because right. of that. He's he's a bonus to me because of that. But then you had like, yeah. I remember this one particular scene with the woman, Bill, like uh, Sandy, the assistant to to the chairman lady, who I don't know why she was in the movie. Like she has like a scene where she's delivering a line and like forgets to breathe. Like, <laughs> I know that sounds weird, I do but that. she speaks. I do that while I'm making She speaks in a run-on <laughs> sentence, if that makes any sense. Like, the way she delivers the yeah. lines, it's like she ignores the punctuation in the line yeah. that she was given, and, like, it, she just, like, runs out of breath almost as she's talking, <laughs> and it's so bizarre. 
to watch. Yeah, that is kind of kind of the mark of an inexperienced actor is, yeah. is the speeding through of the lines. Yeah, and it was like very, very like amateur to me, which really surprised me, especially considering the veteran actress she was stood next to for most of this movie. And I'm like, it was so bizarre. I don't really know how to pronounce it. Um, it lowered her her stock a little bit in the film because it's like she's good. She's a good actress. She's done good work. Um, but like a, as we've said, there's no character, and b, she's stuck next to like the most stiff, yeah, um, actor in the in the whole thing. Like, and to be fair, like if you put me in front of a camera, I'd be much worse than the uh, sandy woman i would I just start crying immediately just from the fact the camera was pointed <laughs> at me but like it's just it's just weird it's just it, it really makes it hard to it, exist in the same universe as this movie with yeah. performances like that agreed if there was a little bit more consistency like if all the actors were like kind of like that then it it would either be a horrible film or be a so bad that it's good kind of film but as you say, because it doesn't quite, it, it has such a bizarre range. It never quite yeah. crosses I always think that this is the perfect movie to analyze like this because it gives you time to appreciate the parts of this movie that were really masterfully done and had real talent behind them, but also still get the enjoyment of kind of laughing at incompetency and low-budget stuff. Yeah. If, if we did Halloween, we would just constantly be going on about how great yeah. the movie it is. Yeah, but something like this, you can honestly look at it and like, say its shortcomings but also still give it credit for what it did right and i i appreciate i appreciate this movie for being what it was because it's almost like a good character study of everyone involved in it yeah absolutely i don't i Definitely. i couldn't have put it better than that i don't i don't really have much to add is almost a really good movie but it's basically it's just it suffers by mainly like the pacing and like the fact that we just don't get to sit with any character for long enough like i think yeah as i said earlier in the podcast all you got to do is cut out like two or three characters in this movie gets a hell yeah lot extras oh my god yeah. add extras like add extras in the scenes where they needed to be like showing people that are reacting to the horror of the fog because it's like did everyone die are they safe in their homes where are the i think for me the what i kept coming back to um that kind of caused so many of the problems we're talking about is i just don't think they quite had it with the script um i think given that they had to come back and yeah exactly parts of it like they i think it's like that's yeah it's a it's a perfect example that they 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 had um an interesting idea that they failed to pull off in the initial run and then because of time constraints and because uh, uh, they needed a project out and they were running out of time they were forced unfortunately to instead of what they should have done is maybe just started from scratch and, and, and you know failed and and tried to do something different but obviously you can't do that in that situation end of the day like uh, this is still an enjoyable movie, at least for me to watch. Right, yeah. And, like, it, it did make them money. Like, yeah, I mean, and... in, in a lot of ways, it was a success. It was a, it was, it was a fine, and... uh, profitable follow-up to Halloween. Yeah, and, and you know, they obviously spent the time that they would have spent, that they could, like, they could have spent more time making this movie better. But then again, like, they all had other movies to make that were really good. The movie so, is, like, yeah. a weird kind of, like, purgatory sort yeah. 
like yeah that's that's a good way of putting it it's like yeah it's a stepping stone between other things i think it's kind of yeah it's a it's a, it's a so but one of the reasons why i find it so interesting to talk about is because it's kind of uh you have a whole bunch of people going out to do different things and so they all kind of pass through this movie yeah even like necessarily um it wasn't really a passion project for anybody involved no it was just kind of like like, i definitely think like it was a let's follow up halloween project as i said like earlier this wasn't anyone's magnum opus like this wasn't this wasn't the biggest project any of them would ever do Mm-hmm. No. Unless you're the guy who wrote a bunch of curse words in like the journal that they were reading. <laughs> uh, yeah. What about the actress who played Sandy or whatever? She was surprisingly in a bunch of other things afterwards. Really? Yeah, they continued to work really? with her, which was like really bizarre to me. Like that was one of the biggest surprises that I think I saw was that how many other projects she did, which really surprised me because I'm like maybe she can act in other things, but I, yeah. I'm sorry, I just don't think that maybe she improved. Yeah, I just didn't see anything from her except being making every scene she was in that much more awkward and stilted overall we've we've come to the conclusion that it's it's a well in a lot of ways a well-made film um that has some glaring flaws that become more apparent as you watch it and as the story definitely could be better uh, could be better. It's excellent uh, 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 showcase of those involved. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think that pretty much brings us. That wraps it up to the end. Yeah. It's worth watching, especially like because it gives yeah. you a lot of insight into these people and their careers and like their style. Yeah, I but think as it's a... more uh, for me, it was an academic kind of yeah. I, I, viewing. I, I enjoyed it definitely. Thanks a lot, Mimi, for joining us. Thank you guys for having me on. Welcome back again. Yeah.